0: Welcome to episode 16 of the Shelf-Shedding Movie Show. Um, This episode, we are going to be talking about uh, a great actor, in my uh, biased opinion, uh, Al Pacino. uh, Actually, one of my acting heroes. The reason I got into theater and film is because of uh, Al Pacino. And... uh, So we will be talking about six movies, and I just want to start off by mentioning there will be spoilers for the movies, uh, and there may be some chorus language, uh, so just uh, be prepared for that. Um, My guest is Kurt Fitzpatrick, and we met each other um, years ago uh, at the Saskatoon Fringe Festival, but you yourself, you live in New Jersey. Is it Jersey City? Yes, that's right. And I think at the time you lived in Brooklyn, and, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: and you had a show traveling the Canadian Fringe circuit, uh, the Last Straight Man in Theater. Yes, that's right. That particular year, I was doing um, play reviews for Twenty uh, Fifth Street Theater for the the uh, the festival. It was still under the guise of CBC, and your show was one I saw pretty early in the festival, and um, I, I I loved it. I I think I. I took some different things from it than what you uh, intended, but it was kind of nice to connect with you and talk about that afterwards. Um, and I, I think that the thing that worked out well was uh, our local newspaper was not that kind, and so at least I from you, you had my my review to sort of counteract what it uh, right yeah. As, I found would often happen with our local newspaper and their, their critics, which weren't always people that knew that much about art, to be honest with you. So, yeah,
1: that was a, well, that was a show that was kind of uh, divisive. I guess you could say like some people loved that show. Some people weren't that uh, crazy about it. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. curious what you uh, took away from it. They, they said that I wasn't expecting.
0: Well, I remember we talked about it and I got kind of a David Lynchian vibe from, from it uh, because it would be, yeah, the surface very very pleasant, but then kind of the music and things would go a little bit dark, a little bit um, abstract. Uh, but when I talked to you, you said you were a part, you were partially inspired by the Canadian content here, "Kids in the Hall," and in somewhat. In, Did I say in, that? Because yeah, I think I, you told me at the time. But uh, oh, really? I was yeah. inspired by "Kids in the Hall."
1: Oh, huh, interesting. Yeah, because I would think I would think I'd be more inspired by David Lynch, but although maybe that just evolved over over the years but i like kids in the hall i was as a kid i watched a lot of uh i watched sctv a lot Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and i watched snl and monty python i was probably more into that than well i mean kids in the hall i probably saw when when i was older it uh came about
0: yeah but uh
1: yeah that was a show that uh it was yeah a lot of people found found that, that show very strange and some people didn't understand what was happening and and then there were some uh, some big supporters like you which which, which was awesome uh, I remember the uh the uh Winnipeg free press yeah that was that's what it was i d- I had just done the Winnipeg Fringe festival with that and I got the two big reviews would be the Winnipeg free Press and the CBC and I got four and a half stars from the free press and one star from the cBC okay. And the CBC reviewer ran out of my show and yelled at the volunteers. He was so angry at what he had just seen. <laughs> it's not like it wasn't an offensive oh. show, but he just uh, he just wasn't happy with the the show.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't know. And so it's kind of ironic that I was writing under the guise of the CBC at the time, and I was able to. Um, you, you didn't. I, I, and I'm not. I because I know. I remember you got, like, one brutal – it was before I even met you – one brutal notice from the star of Phoenix in Saskatoon, like, m- what much worse than this one. I think what you told me is <laughs> that the, the critic – Oh, the, memories. – for Last Great Man, <laughs> spot who it was right away, and you're like, this show is not for this particular person, and it's – so.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, that yeah that happened. But uh, I'm quite resilient, and I just you know, I keep performing. You have to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to be. But, so, what,
0: what like me too was technically what you were doing, and maybe it's just because I I have some theater experience and not necessarily to your level, but uh, what you were doing, you you were you had multimedia and you had filmed characters of yourself, and you were acting off yourself. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. You know the challenge of it technically to do that, and the timing has to be about perfect for for every show. Otherwise, some things could go sideways fast, and I thought. At least in the the performance I saw it it was so smooth and it was really cool and also the fact that I kind of I, I do like those David Lynch's and Kubricks and Paul Thomas Anderson folks that will not do something which is necessarily uh, mainstream. I, I think right, that's what, yeah. yeah
1: yeah that's more of my influence. I'm not sure about Kids in the Hall, but uh, mm-hmm. but I would and like. When you're
0: thinking of yeah. something to do with that,
1: I mean, something yeah, or, yeah
0: I character who. Felt like uh, like after you told me that something made sense with what I think it was one of the characters that you had filmed. Well, I I did play some female,
1: I did play some female characters in it. So similar to uh, Kids in the Hall. Um, I'll yeah. give some credit to uh, the director Allison Cousins. Mm-hmm. I her name was Allison Williams at the time. Well, yeah, her name was Allison. I'm just just trying to remember what the time frame here was. But uh, Allison Cousins directed that, and she also directed my next show, which I think you also saw which was cathedral city that was a couple years later.
0: Yeah. Is that still, if, if you look up your name on internet movie database, does it still say that you're an actor who died in cathedral city, California?
1: Oh, that, yeah, that, that's, that was kind of the basis of that show or the, the, I mean, the original idea of that show that, yeah, if, if I did a search on myself online, like Google search, but this was years ago, and it had it had all this information about Kurt Fitzpatrick, and I had you know it was like a place of birth and all these things, and they they basically lifted information from some other site like the IMDb, but mm-hmm. they are, but they had my
0: place of death. <laughs> they said where I was going to die, which yeah. was Cathedral City. So the show was kind of like. You could basically be immortal if you avoid going to Cathedral City, California. For the yeah, I've not life. gone
1: there. I'm still kind of leery about going to Cathedral yeah.
0: City. I'm not sure I'd go there. However, you, yeah, I don't know um, how many know, but but yeah. yeah the other piece, yeah. just from the movie perspective, was that that whole sequence you do in the future and the last relic of humanity is a uh, VHS copy of Creepshow Two.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. And I heard later that there's a full-length play that has that same. Similar idea, but I don't think they ripped. When nobody ripped each other off here, but there's, you didn't know about it. No, I didn't. But there's a there's a play out there where it's like that civilization has ended, and they and they find an episode of The Simpsons, Mm -hmm. and they have to like reconstruct society. And was was that's that's my idea? I did that, and it was only one little tiny piece of my show. I had all kinds of ideas.
0: Before I get into an extra special reason why we have you uh, uh, on for the Al Pacino show. Uh, you said there's a podcast that uh, you'd like to plug. Yes, I am
1: on a podcast called A Lifetime of Hallmark. It's a Lifetime me, of Hallmark, yes, and it's me and two other podcasters. Um, we've been doing the show for over two years now. I think we have over 100 episodes, we've got over 10,000 downloads. Yeah, yes, wow. I, I guess that's good. Um, and so we're on like wherever you can find podcasts, Podbeam, and and uh, our what we do is we analyze Lifetime and Hallmark movies.
0: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Nice. I've I've stayed in a, uh, a bed and breakfast in Abbotsford, British Columbia, which apparently has been used for all kinds of Hallmark movies. And one time sure. I stayed there at the same time as they were filming, it was in the summer, but they were filming one of the Christmas movies, which was some sort of a sequel to... Uh, when I I I kind of forget the title, but I've, I've tried to find that Hallmark movie, and I, I haven't been successful yet uh, to sort of okay. see uh, what it was like. But you know.
2: yeah, yeah, It's a great idea,
0: really great idea for for a pod podcast. Love that. So you have uh, been an extra, and I, I used to like really follow this. Like you've been an extra on so many, um, uh, primarily New York-based movies and TV shows, and. Like that when Curb did their season in New York, I think Curb Your Enthusiasm and uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and tons of shows like that. Uh, but um, you had mentioned that you had you have been an extra on some Pacino movies. I was, yeah, yeah. Two of which we're going to review here. The two that we're going to uh, review of the three that Pacino movies you've been in, you got to see the man work up close and in person.
1: I did. I was a. Uh, I was in. Um I was an extra on. You don't know Jack, but I think, but Pacino wasn't there uh, when I was there. Um, mm. and that's <clears throat> I have seen that, but my I I saw that. I don't think my scene is even in there. My scene, it's my scene. It was your scene. scene it was not there. And then I, uh, what was Barry Levinson doing? He kept oh, your I know. I've, I've worked with a bunch of Oscar-winning directors, which is kind of cool. I yeah. mean, as an extra, what was he doing? <laughs> He's just working. I I, I did because I when I worked on Phil Spector was the other one. That was cool because it was David Lynch, or not David Lynch, but uh David uh Mamet. But you know, David Mamet just watching him work. He was just kind of like a blue collar guy and he just fits in with the crew and I didn't I didn't enjoy working on that for different reasons, but yeah. it just wasn't a good experience. But that's so I saw Pacino saw Pacino there once, but I didn't get much of a time with him. But on The Irishman because I worked on The Irishman for about 6 days or something like that and I was one of the teamsters, like one of Hoffa's teamsters. Oh yeah. So I was there for a whole scene watching watching uh, Pacino give a speech as Hoffa, which was really interesting because he um, he wears headsets. Like I have, one, I guess our mm-hmm. uh, the uh, home audience can't see this, but he was wearing like earbuds and he says to everybody, he "Goes, I'm listening to a Hoffa speech." You know. So he was listening to it. So right before he gives his Hoffa speech, he's listening to Hoffa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he Takes it off and you know he he. Uh, shoots a scene he, like he never gives a speech exactly the s- same he's always like he kind of hits certain points and yeah. he's improvising yes improvising and i and i when i got home i looked up some of his famous uh dialogue and i said you know that that reads that sounds a lot like the stuff he was improvising today so i was like i think so i think a lot of the stuff a lot of his famous lines are probably yeah. probably improvised
0: they're him uh, like and then
1: my favorite thing was he's walking down. He's walking, he he finishes giving his speech. I've I've never seen this happen before in any he's set. He's, so he's walking. First of all, he leaned on, on my shoulder. So I have the I have the distinction here of Al Pacino has leaned on me. Yep. Yep. He leaned on me and that was it. I was touched by Pacino. And he <laughs> stops and he says to everybody, he goes, Let me tell you all something. Now at this point, I've never seen this ever. The whole crew, everyone stops just stops working so that he could listen to Al Pacino, what he has to say. Yeah. And he just said, he goes, Lee Strasberg told me years ago, know your lines. That was it. That was the message that Pacino had to all of us. <laughs> and he was also, I have to say, he was very, he was just very engaging and very entertaining to us because he was standing in front of us while they're sitting up the camera. He would, he would just uh, say things like, Say hello to my little friend.
0: You're out of order. Well, I'll mention the movies, and then you can tell me uh, uh, what order. I'll maybe just mention them in, in chronological order. Uh, we have this uh, somewhat you know, independent, quasi-famous movie called The Godfather that we're going to talk about oh, yeah. from, uh, from 1972. We're going to move to 73 with uh, a big Pacino movie Serpico, which is also quite famous. Uh, then uh, we'll look at Dog Day Afternoon, which was 75, then we're going to move beyond the 1970s. Uh, we're going to take a look at an interesting piece, uh, in my opinion, called The Local Stigmatic. And I'll give a little bit of a context for this one because it's we have some long movies on the show, but this is this is definitely a short film. Then uh, we're going to look at one of the HBO. He's done a, a series of, of uh, HBO TV movies and miniseries. And as you mentioned, one you were on the set for, uh, Phil Spector. Uh, and then we're going to end off with uh, with The Irishman.
3: What do you want me
0: to do what i beg you to do?
3: Now you come to me and you say, I'm calling and give me justice. You come into my house and you ask me to murder. I ask you for justice. That is not justice.
2: They want to get mixed up in the family business? you got to get up close like this. Better bing! You blow their brains all over your nice cyber league suit. You give them one message. I want Salazar.
0: Now it's, it's all our war. We go to the back. Some magic. of the
2: other families won't well, sit still for our war. Salazar. My father wouldn't want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Business Even the shooting of, the of your
0: father was business, not personal.
3: You know my father. Men are coming here to kill him.
2: I never wanted this for you. I worked my whole life. I don't apologize to take care of my family. And I refused to be a fool. Dancing on the string held by all those big shots.
3: It's not personal.
2: It's strictly business.
0: I don't think it's a controversial statement to say that um, the most famous of the six movies we're talking about today is The Godfather, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. What I'm going to say, which might be viewed as a controversial statement out there, is that of the three Godfather movies, I feel that The Godfather is the best of the three, whereas many people do lean towards The Godfather Part two. Uh, That could be a side conversation that we talk about, but um, the Godfather is an epic about the Corleone family and how things change from them from one generation to the other. We have Don Corleone famously played by Marlon Brando who gets attacked and there's a bit of a succession that starts to happen about who's going to become the new Godfather. He has three sons and his, uh, he has a son played by James Kahn named Santino, who is pretty much the natural heir, but he's a hothead. So if you want to think of, we'll be talking about uh, Joe Pesci later on. Joe Pesci, in some of his earlier Scorsese gangster films, was the, the hothead. He wasn't, he would react instead of think about things. So that was the challenge for him, um, being the head of the family. And then we, we have Fredo, who's kind of The black sheep of the family. He's kind of there. He doesn't really have any leadership abilities, nor does it look like he would ever be given any sort of responsibility in the family. And then we have the war hero, Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, who wants coming back from the war and he wants to be legitimate and have nothing to do with the family business. But the fates align, and who emerges as the next godfather, but the reluctant member of the family, Michael Corleone, who is Pacino, who will anchor the three Godfather films. And that is basically the setup for the Godfather. There's a lot of trivia behind it here, but before we get into uh, that stuff, I want to find out what do you think about the Godfather?
1: Well, let's see. I think this is the third time I've seen it and it's, there aren't a lot of movies I've seen any times, but because I'm not, I'm, I'm not really a good guy who watches uh, movies over and over again, but, uh, but well the the Godfather is is a great movie. I think it's um one of my I, I know this is odd, but my favorite part of the Godfather is the part where um, Alex Rocco says I talked to Benzini. And it's basically a terrible dub. It's like for some reason there's this there's this overdub and they got somebody to overdub what's his, um Alex Alex Rocco what, what um Mo Green, character's Mo Green. So they got someone to overdub Alex Rocco, who had an accent, doesn't sound anything like Alex Rocco. All of a sudden, there's this jarring overdub that just goes, I talked to Benzini. And it's just, it's so great, because it's like, it's the Godfather is is like, it's it's almost like a perfect movie, a perfect movie. And there's this one little moment (laughs) of just, I I don't even know how to describe it, just this jarring, filmic catastrophe. And it just, it, mm-hmm. because it's so it's so obvious because the rest of the movie is so great. And it kind of reminds you, it almost like like uh, zaps you into the fact that, wow, this is such a great movie because <laughs> there's yeah. one little mistake. I also love the fact that he kept that in there because if this was a George Lucas movie, he would be digging up Alex Rocco from the grave to uh, dub over his line again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, at that point, yeah. uh, Coppola certainly didn't have that kind of pull.
1: But yeah, to answer your question, I think The Godfather is a great movie. It, I think, it also holds up well. Like I watched, sure. I know we're not doing this movie, but I also watched Justice for All, and and Justice for All, it's it's very dated. It's like a movie. It looks like a TV show from the seventies, and The Godfather just holds up great. And probably part of the reason is because it's had such such an influence on in other movies.
0: They also say period pieces seem to last longer than movies which are contemporary because fashion changes, what the way people talk change. Well, that's um, a good point, yeah. Yeah, and it, it is a period piece. It, it was came out in 1972, but it's very much set in the late 40s, moving into the 50s. Uh, in And it is a the, the New York-based. They go back to New York for Godfather 3, but 2 doesn't have a – there isn't a whole lot of time that's uh, spent in New York in The Godfather Part 2. Mm-hmm. I almost see this as the last, it was the transition point of like those big Hollywood epics of kind of the, the the old Hollywood 40s, 50s, a bit into the 60s. But it has a little bit of 1970s sensibility, but it isn't as as brazen uh, with its language. And I mean, it's violent in places, but, you know, it's, it's very stylized, even as far as the, like the, the brief bit of nudity and that's that's in the movie. Uh, it, it doesn't it, it feels like it's from a different time and then you go 2 years later with the godfather 2 it feels very much like it's in the 70s and the f bomb is flying all over the place which is common in a lot of pacino's movies okay um, so it it feels like kind of a nice bridge into uh, the 70s which was became in my opinion a very good decade for films yeah absolutely yeah and i i just think there's there's subtlety to it that that godfather part 2 doesn't completely have i mean it has some of it and it's still it's a classic it's a great movie i'm not going to bash it but i i lean towards the godfather more I, I i will watch the godfather more often than i'll watch godfather 2 but i, I know people that just love godfather 2 and it is they, they will just stand by the fact that it's a better movie than the godfather so
1: yeah i i've <clears throat> I, I i've heard that but i saw it Godfather Part Two, I've seen a few years ago, and Godfather Part Three, I saw many years ago. I know, in, in the Godfather, what I also like this was—it seemed like more of a—I don't want to say controlled, but a little more. Like it was a calmer Pacino, yeah. as opposed to some of his later work where it's a lot of speeches, a lot of yelling. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if there was even the Godfather Part Three. There was a lot of that. He was in f- yeah. full yeah. Pacino yeah. mode at that yeah. point. But I, I was up, They pulled me back in. Right, they pulled. It's not what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. That was that was something else. But um, Godfather, he's very very controlled. It's it, it's interesting to see that tr- transition because who else was going to take over for Vito Corleone? Because as you said, Sonny was a hothead. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with Fredo, but they never exactly say what it is. Something something is amiss with Fredo. Yeah, I, mean,
0: I get the sense, and they do set it up. Like I mean, I I don't know that they had. Part 2, even though it was a pretty quick turnover to Part 2, they fully had it in mind when they were making The Godfather, but there were some really smart things in there that maybe Coppola incorporated, because he co-wrote it with the novelist Mario Pozo, to have an opening for some things that would start to happen in uh, Godfather Part 2. Particularly a scene between Fredo in Las Vegas, where uh, Fredo is sided with Mo Green over Michael, and uh, after Mo Green is left and <clears throat> Pacino's basically threatened, threatened him, Mo Green, uh, he says to Fredo, uh, "Never side with anybody outside the family again." And that becomes yeah. spoilers, folks. But that becomes the central focus of The Godfather Part Two. I um, will
1: um, yeah, have to watch Godfather Part Two again. I remember that. No spoiler. Michael shoots Fredo, right? Or he? Or he? No,
0: not quite. Not, no, not, not quite. But things are things are kind of set up that okay. way. Yeah, for that one. So, yeah, spoilers for Godfather Part Two, but I said spoilers in general when we're talking about these.
1: Well, I didn't give a spoiler then. I don't, because I, I was incorrect.
0: Did you know that Al Pacino and Francis Ford Coppola were almost fired? No, I didn't know that.
1: I, I know Coppola was hired on. Like, it's, it wasn't a project that he developed.
0: Robert Evans, the famous uh, movie producer, was not happy with Coppola and was not happy with Pacino. Yeah, so uh, Evans wasn't happy, and it was all up to the scene where uh, Michael shoots uh, the the police detective uh, in the in the restaurant, and the police captain, sorry, in in the restaurant, and that that fairly famous execution scene. That was the scene yeah. that won won them over, in Pacino. Then they said, "Oh, Pacino's good, and Coppola's good to direct the rest of the film." If you were to ask Francis Ford Coppola, I've never asked him personally; never met him, unfortunately. Which of the two movies? he likes better. I think he would say Godfather part two, because he had total control of Godfather part two. Robert Evans wasn't in the picture for that. uh, Wasn't involved with Godfather part two. Coppola got to be the full on producer and director and, and, and wrote with uh, Puzo again. And it it was more his film than the Godfather, which he was hired on to do. And, And they didn't believe in Pacino and it, they kind of had to believe in Pacino. Uh, it's funny now how we're a few minutes into this review and we haven't talked about Marlon Brando yet. What do you think about Marlon Brando's performance as Vito Corleone?
1: Um, well, it's obviously that's a that's a it's an it's an iconic performance that's yeah. been uh, imitated. I mean, I've probably saw the imitators before I saw the original. It would have been interesting to have seen that with fresh eyes to see that when it first came out. But yeah, I think it's a I I believe that is a that, that is a great performance. I don't always think Marlon Brando is great in things. He did a movie called oh, I think it's called The Score. Yes. Uh, yeah. Some of his some of his like his last things he did. And I know there's some people who think Marlon Brando is so great, he's great in everything, but I mean, if I can't understand what he's saying and if he's not pleasant to look at, you know, you're in a movie, you got to be pleasant to look at and I can't understand what you're you're, you're saying and that and that crazy uh, Dr. Moreau movie,
0: yeah, <laughs> Dr. Moreau.
1: You know, which I, I think
0: a copy of that just so I could talk about that movie on the show. I, I think it
1: was actually kind of entertaining, but these movies are yeah. ridiculous. And then there was another one, John uh, Juan DeMarco. Juan oh, DeMarco with Johnny Depp. Yeah. I mean, geez, you know, yeah, you did great work years ago, but <laughs> that score was bad. And <laughs> well, <laughs> but but yeah, the Godfather is an example of his of the, the great work.
0: Well yeah, and he needed this because he, his career was kinda they considered him washed up at this point. And then he, he was hired on. I'm not sure he was that Coppola was Coppola was okay with the decision. I mean he worked with him later on Apocalypse Now, which was a nightmare apparently, but
2: yeah. He sure
0: that. But the Godfather brought Marlon Brando back because it was a bit of a stint from on the waterfront to the Godfather for him. And then he started to get more work. I, I this is the third episode in a row where I've reviewed a Marlon Brando movie for some reason. It seems to go in these waves. Um, I heard the one that you did with
1: uh, Last Tango in Paris, which he did a couple years years after this, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. It was. I, I think it may have even been the, the year after. Um, and my thought was that Last Tango in Paris, kind of after that, he stopped caring a bit. He like there would be the odd good performance here or there, but he became very very difficult uh, to work with kind of after that point. Bertolucci let him do whatever he wants. Uh, Last episode uh, was black and white films and reviewed A Streetcar Named Desire, which became, in many ways, I think, besides The Godfather, the iconic performance of his career. And he really was... Well, that and... pioneered method acting on film and the Stanislavski uh, approach at that time with, with what he did on stage and then on film. So, I mean, I think we're... The last three are some of some of the best of his his work, but mm-hmm. I yeah I don't think everything he touched turned to gold, especially in the latter part of his career. But what was that? Well, he did
1: one movie where he was pretty good at it. He played like a civil rights lawyer, and this was this was later
0: the Dry White Season, I believe. I think
1: that was it. Yeah,
0: the Dry White Season. Yeah, he did, uh, uh, a takeoff on his Godfather character in a movie called the The Freshman. Yeah, the Freshman. Yeah, that was good. So here and there I'd, I would like him in a few things, but yeah, he became a, a bit much. Here's my issue. Marlon Brando, and it was very famous. He won best actor for The Godfather, refused the Oscar because of the treatment of uh, Native Americans on on screen. Is his performance a leading performance in The Godfather or is it a supporting performance? Because I've always thought that the key character and the character who changes the most in the Godfather, is Michael Corleone played by Al Pacino. That's the one we need to focus on. But right. so much of the movie was made about Brando and uh, his portrayal of, of Don Corleone, and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I mean, is the cod in his mouth to show that his the, the backstory, I think a little bit more in the novel than the film, is that he's some, um, Don Corleone is somewhat paralyzed from the mouth down, so that's why he, oh, really? does, oh, really? he does. And okay. so Brando's solution to get that or Brando or somebody on set said, well, he stuffs cotton in his mouth. So sometimes you can sort of see that there. And that's when he started doing the kind of the mumbly thing, which he, it wasn't unusual for him to mumble through a performance, but I, that's the only thing. And it's maybe looking at a 2020 perspective on this film, as opposed to a 1972 perspective when like, who's Al Pacino, nobody knew who he was, but Marlon Brando was an iconic film star who was making a comeback uh, with, with this movie. So,
1: was this the first movie that uh, james Kahn was in?
0: I don't know if I'd have to look back and I'd, I'd are, have here to, to see but James Kahn was i think he was a bona fide movie star at the time
1: oh he was okay uh,
0: he was a he was a for sure for this picture and there was never any question about having him in there and i yeah i know he he'd been working solid since the early uh sixties here um, um, a lot of television, but he was, yeah, he was in a lot of movies. I think but- it's great. I think it's great that Godfather, just the
1: way the movie opens and how it's at, it's a wedding, you know, it's his daughter's wedding. So there's, and everybody is like coming in to see the Godfather, but it's, it's so cool that that's happening while there's a wedding happening outside. Mm-hmm. It's Like, I'm, I'm, you know, in the middle of all this activity He's like seeing all these people. It it gives a reason. It gives us a reason to meet all the all the characters, all the main characters. For them to get introduced, that they're all like intermingling. And there's that one guy, the one guy who rehearses a speech. What's it? Is Don Corleone? I am. Thank you for inviting me to your daughter's wedding. You know that guy. And mate, and you can see him like before that. He's rehearsing it. He's sitting there like Don Corleone. Thank you for.
0: Then when he actually sees the dawn, when he sees him, he freezes for a moment. Oh and yeah, he, look at the guy's face. He's like oh, I forgot my line.
1: <laughs> he's been rehearsing like for a school pageant. Yeah, may your first, may their first child be a masculine child. That always struck me as odd. So he wants their first child to be a boy, or it could be a girl who's masculine, a, a masculine child. I don't know, a masculine child. That's a great performance by Brando because he's just kind of like you know he's looking at him like no okay thank you <laughs> thank you for stopping by.
0: <laughs> you do a great great Brando impression, uh, Corleone <laughs> impression. Watch The Godfather though you, you kind of see and they do this in all three. It's one one is this wedding, another is a celebration of Michael Corleone in uh, Lake Tahoe as this this great this great man and great contributor to the church. And then Godfather three starts with this uh, baptism or, that everything that starts to happen, like a Shakespearean play, all, of, all the players are there and the fates are aligning and they're already conspiring against Don Corleone at that wedding. And and we do see all of all the people, the more you watch it, because okay. just one, one viewing of this, it's, it's a long movie there's lots of characters and it can get very confusing about like who's betraying whom. And, and so now I have that a little bit more straight Then I, I look for those details early in the film. And it really does hold up in that way.
1: All those people are conspiring against him.
0: So, some are uh, trying to make power plays. We see, for example, the, the driver who betrayed him when uh, Don Corleone was an at attempted at assassination. The guy okay. who calls in sick. Uh, he's there but he's the guy who's uh sees all the cash at the wedding and he oh yeah. yeah yeah if there's any other wedding he would he would rob the place and you know things like that and we're just seeing different gangsters who show up pretending like they're friends but really they they would stab him in the back and and they do stab him in the back no matter what so
1: well there's the mob so you have to it is yeah you have yeah. to kind of expect some of that like the guy with the horse in the bed that's not good
0: yeah yeah, yeah that, though, there's so many famous moments like that and I remember seeing it when I was maybe about 12 years old when I first saw The Godfather and that was a very shocking scene but what I like about The Godfather it's cold it is so cold you know the the Scorsese gangster movies are very hot-headed very ferocious but here it's it's business and it's cold and you know everybody's in on this violence but they're acting like they're not in on the violence and that they're just you know everything's a business deal and There's so many great performances I I, I like. I I actually think probably I might go with my favorite performance being James Caan, But Pacino, I I feel that he's better in The Godfather than The Godfather 2. I think in The Godfather 2, he strikes a certain note and he keeps on that note for the entire film. And Michael doesn't change as much. Like some things happen to him, which make him more distant and colder, but he starts off pretty cold. The beginning of The Godfather 2 and he ends off even colder. And so there isn't much of a, a path for him, but I, I, I like the journey from being the war hero who uh, is telling uh, Diane Keaton, uh, his his girlfriend Kay he wants nothing to do with the family business till to becoming the Dawn and trying to convince her to, to marry him and say he's gonna make the business legitimate by the end. And he enacts one of the most brazen crimes of all time. and. This is just this time around, for whatever reason, the uh, getting to the end of the film, spoilers territory, but when there's the baptism sequence where he is becoming the godfather to his sister's kid, and that's cut with all of these revenge killings that Michael has planned out to just before he leaves New York, he's going to get rid of all of his enemies and it's so well directed by Coppola. It is so well edited. The music is haunting, and it's it's as perfect a climax as you can get for any movie. But I I, I really do like the whole thing a lot. It isn't a perfect movie. There's you you mentioned that that dubbing business. There's oh yeah, I love that. The scene where uh, Don Corleone, there's an attempted assassination. Brando actually. Accidentally ran the opposite direction. It's a really picky thing, and it's something you have oh, to wow.
1: watch. It's yeah,
0: it's over. He went in the wrong direction. But it's not something that would bother you, or you would notice on on one viewing of the film.
1: Yeah, I didn't like notice
0: all that. All really nitpicky stuff. I, I like to. I don't like to spend the whole time praising a movie, so I do like to come up with a couple of things here. I would say the women in Godfather, maybe a little bit better in Godfather 2, but the women are very secondary and not not great roles. I mean, Diane Keaton's basically at the whim of Al Pacino. Like she's with him, forgotten and ignored by him. And then it only takes like one conversation and she's back into, to marrying him and it's treated poorly. Talia shear uh, who plays, uh, plays the sister has a lot more to do in God- Godfather too. She has, especially at the, the last scene of the film, a really good scene there, but uh I just feel like the the female characters aren't given as much to do as as the men in The Godfather. Isn't she?
1: She's related to Francis Ford Coppola, right? She's like yeah, she's, she's his yeah. sister.
0: Yes, yeah, okay. as I understand it, sister. And then she's the mother of Jason Schwartzman, who's been in a lot of movies. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and of course she's her famous role was Rocky. Yeah, she's Adrian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's very good. Uh, don't get me wrong here, but she's given a lot more to do in Godfather. Uh, too than she is in Godfather I believe
1: I read that the woman who played uh, Apollonia was very young when they made that movie she was like 16 or something like that
0: yeah I believe it yeah and, and that's the like kind of interesting thing that's the only bit of nudity in the film is, uh, yeah. is the wedding night there but
1: so that's a little weird I think Al may be about 30
0: yeah he was he was older before he started to get mm-hmm, yeah. You know,
1: yeah that'd be a little weird doing a scene like that but I guess that was that was alright back then I don't
0: know. Well, and it's kind of in the 40s and in Italy and, yeah, but like to actually in 1972 do that scene. I mean, in terms
1: was actually filming, you know, like the actual actors, yeah.
0: Yeah, but overall, I, th- I think uh, we're, we're fans of The Godfather.
1: Right, Cerfigo.
2: and get a haircut. This week, you're 8 to 4, next week, 4 to midnight. Make questions the older guys will fill you
1: in. Okay, who are you playmates? Hey, Frank, you want a piece of this?
2: How come you didn't stay for the fun?
3: That's not my kind of fun.
2: You talk to me save you
3: Hey, Frankie! How you doing? You keep asking me that. What's the matter with you? Well, I thought you were coming over to the house. Margaret invited Marianne over... Hey, Pasqual. I'm gonna tell you something. See, all day long, I work with cops, right? Mm -hmm. And when I go out, I see Marianne. Her father's a cop, her brother's a cop, her uncle's a cop. I got a feeling she's a cop, too. I must have been nine, ten years old. I was this big. All my life, I wanted to be a cop. Sick, I can remember nothing else. So what do you think, Frank, about the money? I don't know. But I'm not broke, and I don't have a family. You want to stick my neck out? It's already out, Frank. Not taking the money. Hey! Get there, Get out. What, the what the hell is going, going on here? here? Who the hell
2: are you? Police, who the hell do you think we are? Where are you from?
3: Borough, Manhattan eight. No, damn it. No, you're not from the borough. I just paid the borough this morning. We're yeah. not doing anything bad here. We're skimming a little gambling money. It's clean. If they would take all that energy, I see, put it into straight police work, we'd have the city cleaned up in a week. If they clean up, there'd be no crime.
2: Derpico, get in. Okay, you might get by in the Bronx, but down here, 800 a month is chicken feed. Last week, one dope dealer... 120,000 split four ways. That's serious money. So as they ask you who's taking money? Well, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, but you do know, Frank. Look, Frankie, I like you. I don't want to see anything happen to you. Serpico? You're going to find anything on Serpico. He's clean. Serpico! See Inspector Palmer. Frank. It's very easy to, um, get hurt. It takes a 14-shot clip. You expecting an army? No, just a division. We know how to handle guys like you. to cut your tongue out. There are many sides to Serpico. A hero who was hated, a loner who was loved, and to some people, the most dangerous man alive. An honest comedy.
0: It it was a beautiful thing to me, and we'll be addressing it with two of our six movies here. When you had a producer named Martin Bregman, you had a director, Sidney Lumet, and you had star Al Pacino, and they did true stories set in New York. And in 1973, they cast Al Pacino as Frank Serprico, who was an actual police officer who would not take a bribe. Corruption was kind of a theme throughout. Sidney Lumet's filmography as a as a director, and he did about three films about uh, corruption in the NYPD, and uh, this is this is the most famous of the three. With a lot of the movies we're talking about, even though it is an Al Pacino themed show, in some ways I almost lean towards another actor as giving the best performance. But in the two Bregman. Lumet Pacino uh, joints we're talking about it is definitely the Al Pacino show and I I think Serprico was a full role for Pacino to play very different than any character that we we talk about on on the show here Serprico was unusual he wanted to do the right thing he wanted to be a police officer he wanted to be a detective wanted to be undercover but he was also himself and he was a bit of a hippie and Uh, He had long hair and a long beard, and they really didn't know how to take him. And he made many enemies, and the film starts off, so this isn't necessarily spoilers, but in the first few minutes, you see that Serpico gets shot, and they're trying to figure out who did this, and was it a police officer who tried to kill him? Because he was working to uh, very much reveal who were the corrupt police officers and that's basically the setup of of Serpico and it is the Al Pacino show in many ways but there are several great New York actors that show up James Tolkien uh, F. Murray Abraham shows up for a bit of uh, an extended cameo so it's it's a good good enough cast but I think without Pacino's performance this movie may not be as good yet maybe you can help me out with this but oddly enough I was excited to revisit it. When it was all said and done, this movie felt a little bit more like homework than some of the other ones. I'm not sure as a whole film it's as good as Pacino's performance.
1: Yeah, I just saw this for the first time, either yesterday or the day before. And I would agree with that. I did. I did think it was a it was a very good performance. I mean, it, it is a good movie, but I certainly. I mean, the it's, it's hard to it's hard to, to compare something to the Godfather. But we are going to talk about Dog Day Afternoon, which I have. I, that was I, I saw that for the first time as well, and I'm very yeah. excited about that movie. Yeah. I don't. Have, I don't have the excitement over Serpico that I do over Dog Day Afternoon, which was awesome.
0: Uh, you on the same page.
1: Yeah, Serpico. You know, I guess it's because it's Dog Day Afternoon is based on a, a real story as well, but I was surprised, Serpica, I was surprised, like, wow, the police force was is, is, is was, there's was anybody who like he was the only person it wasn't corrupt the police force was awful and then when he's working for the narcotics division they were it was like four cops splitting up a hundred grand in like the 1970 72 or 71 it's like wow like yeah. i was surprised that his girlfriend didn't like uh wasn't like upset with him at some point she's like hey could you take some of that money we could live better <laughs> you know? he, he he held on to it he held but yeah, it was a. It was. Yeah, you could see the evolution of his performance. Um, a lot of it was in his facial hair. So I wonder how, how long it took it to shoot this because he had a mustache, he had more of a beard.
0: You Knowing how method he was, like now I think he's putting on wigs and he's putting on. Well, in some cases, he has to when we talk about Phil Spector, for example, and the Irishman to a certain extent. But I, I feel at that time, being as method as he is, he was growing his hair long. He was growing the mustache. So I'm not sure because he we, we start off with the clean cut young guy in the first flashback where he first becomes a police officer and graduates from the police academy. And he looks like kind of the the early scenes of, of Pacino in The Godfather. But then, you know, he gets a mustache and then it just gets... Mm-hmm. There is a lot about his hair and his facial hair but it is a it is a trigger for a, a lot of uh the a lot of his supervisors. He does encounter a few good cops or people who move are in the police and then move away. Tony Roberts has a, a pretty decent role as his friend who keeps trying to help him out and when it leads to a dead end he takes a bit of abuse from from Serpico.
1: I'm not sure, so sure how Serpico thought this was going to go well. I guess I'm talking about story wise that like uh they Finally decide to go to the New York Times and tell them about like, all the uh, corruption. Mm-hmm. They're all excited. Like, yay. It's like, well, not not a lot of people are going to be on your side on this. You yeah. work for the police department. And and his plan throughout the movie was to, he wanted to expose the corruption but still be a cop. Yeah. So it's that's, uh, that's kind of crazy
0: in a way, <laughs> you know. So he did he what they wanted. That's crazy um, because he, he just thought, well, all of that is good and just is going to uh, come out in the end, and then he'll be back being uh, a detective, and nobody's. You know, nobody is going to uh, care that their friends and colleagues for many years are have either lost their jobs or, are, in some cases, might be in prison. Yeah, like, this wasn't going to
1: work out for him. I don't know what what he was ex- expecting. I guess it'd be interesting. I, I know there's a documentary on on him, which uh, might be interesting to watch. But he was basically setting himself up so that everyone was his enemy. Anybody he came across, and it was for the right reasons. But I don't know. It's like I, that. That's what I was surprised in Justice for All. Also, it was kind of the same. It was similar. Because in that one he becomes he becomes a defense attorney. That one's even stranger because well, it's just that you sh- you should kind of know what to expect when becoming a defense attorney. I guess you might not know when becoming a cop that every single cop is corrupt. But. I mean, at the,
0: rev- or at the risk of uh, starting to review injustice for all, because we will talk about this uh, hopefully at, at some other time. But I I, I do find that Serpico does land on Mother Earth a little bit more than And Justice for All. And Justice for All becomes very big. Now, it's a a satire. So within satire, I think you can allow some big moments to happen. In Serpico, they're going for uh, hard realism. With yeah. The, with the picture. But yeah, uh, it isn't very gritty. Compare, to compare those characters and say they are they are similar in a way. And it's almost like an obsession. I'm a big fan of the movie JFK. So right. uh, I yeah. call yeah. that my favorite movie of all time. And I, I, I just like characters that have that kind of tunny, tunnel vision obsession. And it, it's just interesting when other people would give up. They just keep going, keep going, keep going, no matter how how threatened they actually are. And yeah,
1: that's true. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like a Papillon. Uh, yes, Papillon, who just wouldn't give up, and 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 uh, Dustin Hoffman's character finally just gave up on escaping, but Papillon would not. Just keep going and going and going and going. So it is. It is sort of interesting that kind of bullheadedness. That that was a good thread. It was a yeah. It's a strong movie, and there's there's um. See if I could articulate this, but I noticed like the I guess one of the opening scenes where Al Pacino's with like the police academy, they're getting sworn in, and it's it's filmed in like what looks like a gym, like a high school gym. And I just thought you just don't see locations like that anymore. Like no. it like a real gritty, dark gym. And you know, when you see a gym. In a movie today, it's not going to look like that. It might, it might be that, might be that same room, but it's clean. It's today. That's going to be cleaned and well lit, and this looked like a real, like the real thing.
0: This was like dirt, dirty New York, nineteen seventies filmmaking, and yes. and so I have to admire it and give it points for that. I like the music. It's kind of that intense music score that's in there. I
1: was excited to see F. Murray Abraham because he's become one of my favorite actors over the years, and even in this, he's just great. And yeah. I, I guess he was mostly a theater actor. I don't know. I saw, I rewatched Amadeus, which is a movie I really like. Yes, uh,
0: you're so good in that.
1: Yeah. He's uh he really, it's, you know, sometimes people win Oscars that don't, might not deserve it. Like perhaps, more arguably Al Pacino is a uh, son of a woman, but. Um, That'll be a, a
0: different discussion. because I'm a huge defender of that movie. <laughs> That's. Yeah. performance wise a little yeah
1: I, i've taken a, another look at it but that's definitely that's an example of pacino's uh scenery eating mm-hmm. Every, everything is a everything is a yell and a hooah i mean it's you yeah. know but anyway it's not to go off an f murray habrian but i was very excited to see him he's not in the credits judd hirsch is in the movie he's also not in the credits yes um which is odd that must have been one of his first roles because yeah. that was for a taxi and uh m m walsh is in it in one yes spot.
0: I kept thinking of uh, Blood Simple for some reason as soon as I saw him.
1: Oh, yeah. And Raising Arizona. He's got that one, one scene in that and
0: um, yeah I'll be reviewing that movie pretty soon in an upcoming show Raising Arizona and yeah anyway I I like Serpico but I I don't know there's there's at the end though I'm just kind of like okay I'm left with an interesting character and I'm glad I know the story and I've seen so many movies about corruption and maybe this was kind of a pioneering type of movie we're exposing this level of corruption in a respected organization at the time but I I really like Sidney Lumet as a director, but. I think a lot of the stuff that I love about that combination is times 10 when we get to talking about uh, Dog Day Afternoon in a moment here. So You know something, people? You're going to be remembered the rest of your lives for the day you got held up
3: and kidnapped.
2: At approximately 3 p.m. on August 22nd 1972, Sonny Wurzick and Sal Naturali entered the first Brooklyn Savings Bank and attempted a robbery. I freeze! The attempt failed. There's no money here.
3: They picked it up this afternoon. There's only 1100. This is too much.
2: It's for you. What? The police arrived. This is Detective Sergeant Eugene Moretti. What are you doing in there? (laughs) For the people of the neighborhood, it was a sideshow. Sonny! Sonny! But for Sonny and Sal, the hostages, and the cops, it was a dog day afternoon.
3: It's all a whim. Rob a bank. I had a plan. I had a plan. WNEW. Plays all the hits. Will you keep away from this bank or we're going to start throwing bodies out the front door one at a time. I'm a Catholic and I don't want to hurt anybody. Understand? How about let the people out of the bank? They're keeping me alive. I'm going to let him out. Sir, can you tell me what the situation is? All right, who, who has to go to the bathroom? Honey, oh, come on out! Yeah. It's just a freak show to them anyway. The most you're going to get is five years. You get out in one year. huh? Kiss me i mean i don't know about that guy out there hello sonny you're on the air sonny jesus i was watching it on tv do go back there man uh, I didn't he tell me he needed Bruce. money <laughs> he wants to kill me so bad he can taste it why rob a bank when you got a sucker for a mother you're starting to get on my nerves Gina, put it in your holster <laughs> we're entertainment right what do you what do you what do you got for us Haruka, Haruka. i ain't going back to that prison sonny remember radical I'm here with my partner and nine other people. See, we're dying. Don't, don't, son! You're going to see our brains on a the sidewalk. They're going to spill our guts out. Shouldn't let something like that spoil your fun. Hey, don't fire! Don't fire, don't fire! Your kid's stand you being be in a bank robber, sonny. What am talking, I'm trying to talk to you! Mom, what are you doing down what? here? Run, run, run. Where am I going to run? Algeria. Algeria? Yeah, they got a Johnson Johnson's there, so I'm going. One, we get a helicopter here. Two, takes us to a jet. Three, I'm flying to the tropics.
0: We did it.
2: Al Pacino. Dog Day Afternoon. A True Story.
0: Back to kind of dirty 1970s New York as this one day in in Brooklyn, some young people decided to uh, rob a bank and a simple bank robbery goes sideways fast and turns into a major hostage crisis, which brings up issues to do with police brutality and corruption and gay rights and trans rights and uh, a little bit of Stockholm syndrome thrown in there and the FBI as well as the NYPD and it's just one dog day afternoon, which turns into to me a masterpiece. And I don't think the first time I saw a dog day afternoon, I responded to it the way I've responded to it this time and the last couple times I've seen it. I'm actually going to say that I think of the six movies we're talking about, this is the best Al Pacino performance, but it isn't just Al Pacino. John Cazell, who we didn't talk about, he plays Fredo in the Godfather movies. He has a really, really interesting supporting role here in Dog Day Afternoon. But we have several other really uh, terrific actors here i want to highlight chris sarandon who there there may be some problems when i get into some picky criticisms here about his character but he is a man connected to, uh, Pacino's bank robber character because they are in fact married as we, as we discover. Sorry, spoilers because we don't get that till well into the film. And he is, uh, a man who wants to live his life as a woman. Um, and this is the mid 1970s. So you can imagine the treatment of this person in real life, but also a little bit in the film. He basically gets pulled out during this hostage situation from, uh, Bellevue because they think he has mental health problems to to talk to Al Pacino. Carol Kane appears as one of uh, the bank workers it, it, just a wonderful actor. It's nice to see her. She's not the least bit funny like she's known as quite a funny actor but she's she plays it pretty straight here. This is early in her career. Lance Hendrickson a guy I'm a big fan of. I actually met him once. He played a lot of like kind of dark creepy characters but uh, he's actually a very nice man. Plays a different kind of character here. Dominic Chiazza he played uh, Junior Soprano. Is Pacino's father, a uh, bit of an extended cameo. One of my favorite performances in the movie is Charles Durning, who is a police officer who is negotiating with uh, with Pacino through the entire film, and you know, almost his entire role is out on the street with a bullhorn. And but it's a it's a really great role, and he's just one another one of these great New York actors who you might not know the name, but you see his face in in lots of movies. I didn't know until I read up on it that a lot of this movie was improvised. Though, had you heard that? No, I hadn't heard that. Ironically, the only Academy Award it won was for screenplay by Frank Pearson. We should mention you mentioned improvisation in the introduction, but when we talk about improvisation a lot of people think of theater games and comedic improvisation what al pacino robert de niro brando a lot of the a lot of method actors will do is they do a thing called improvisation to the script so they they know their characters really well and they actually do that that thing you told me the, the story about pacino the training is you learn your lines word perfect To the point where you aren't thinking about your lines anymore and then when you're in the moment as the character then there's this allowance that you can start to use your own words and use the 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 script as a little bit of a suggestion it's kind of the opposite of theater where the playwright is is almost the head of everything but in film the screenwriter sometimes the script is a little bit of a suggestion so Sidney Lumet and pacino they did And and a lot of the other actors did a lot of improvisation. So that key scene with Chris Sarandon and Al Pacino, that entire thing was improvised. Oh, wow. That whole conversation so in general you felt that this this team was better in dog day than in serpico
1: yes well one thing i loved about dog day afternoon is it really captured new york and it captured new york in the summer they were yeah. just scenes sometimes of you know like the, the air conditioning wasn't working you see like a sweat on their faces you see the people outside and how i i moved to new york in the first summer i was in new york was 1995 so there was still a little grit There was still a little. Duriness. And it reminded me of that, even though Dog Day Afternoon must have been, that was in the early 70s.
0: That was 20 years before the Dog Day Afternoon. Now, the actual crime itself, as I understand it, was probably 72. Uh, one of the weird facts I read was that the the robber watched The Godfather for inspiration on the day that he, supposedly on the day that he committed the, the robbery, he'd watched The Godfather. And wow. That's well, like, or not, you know, you can't believe everything you read. But. That's like visualization, like the, uh, the
1: s- secret or something like that. Like he, he goes watch the Godfather, he does the crime, then Al Pacino actually plays him. The ball yeah. direction. Um, but no, it was, that's that's one thing. It's it's There is something about in New York in the summer. I don't know what it's like now because I, I have not been in Manhattan since March because of our current situation. Or Brooklyn, you know, which is where it's, it actually happens. Uh, but there is something about New York City in the summer summer, like the sweltering, you know, uh, concrete jungle. I know that's kind of a kind of a cliche, but, but yeah, it just really captures that with that with the fans and the sweat. Uh, It's hard
0: to describe to people who haven't lived in Brooklyn, how if, something happens in the neighborhood, then people come from all around. They don't even know, necessarily know what it is. They come from all around to see what's happening. You right, know? And so, you know, maybe if you're not from New York or something, you don't understand how this little bank robbery got so far out of control where hundreds of people blockaded outside of this bank while this strange live media event starts to happen long before... 24 hour news cycle and all of that. Did you know that? It's, what would you say is the most famous, uh, famous line from this movie?
1: The Attica, Attica,
0: yeah. That and man, again, the of the movie. I, I, didn't, I didn't know what that was about, and I, I think that might be something that not everybody would understand. Oh, I do. Well, it, uh, it, it was, it was a, it is a, in the dialogue, they talk about it a little bit, but yeah, they but police yeah. guards that killed prisoners in Attica are uh, surely before this happened. That line, which is most famous. That was all Al Pacino. That wasn't in the script either. He he was out there with that crowd, and he just in the moment started shouting shouting that. And then the the crowd. I mean, I don't know how much it was on location. How many people were just like people who were there who just took that and just went with it, or if you know they the extras on set were just that good that they were just working along with what Pacino was giving them. But
1: um. yeah, like I said, when I saw Pacino working, that's kind of like how he was. He would, he kind of had kind of an outline. It was, it was improvising and he was a very confident improviser. Obviously he's a, he's a great actor. You know, he's a great actor just because you know, he's a great actor. Then you actually watch him like Yeah, yeah, he's a great actor. But yeah, I, I could see that that he improvised a lot of his lines and yeah, it was uh it's interesting cuz I think when I hadn't seen a, a ton of his work, I I kind of my impression of Al Pacino was he was always he always overact, he kind of overacted, but he was it kind of it worked for him. I've seen now that I've, I've watched this like concentrated piece of his work, so much of his work he really does develop develop a character. You know, I know it sounds like I'm I'm explaining that Al Pacino is a great actor. We know he's a great actor. It's like I don't have to, I don't have to argue for this, but you know, he is. Um, he really does create a character, and he creates a voice. You know, mm-hmm. and you know he has, he has he has an accent, he has a physicality, and it's always it's Al Pacino. But there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of differences to all these kind of characters.
0: I, I have talked to some people that you get into, and this is a again, the show I'm thinking about as a theme for the future is De Niro versus Pacino. I've talked to more people the last few years that say that De Niro is the better actor if they have to choose one between De Niro and Pacino. And they cite that thing that like, Pacino goes so big with the screaming and the choices he makes that he looks like he's acting as opposed to De Niro who's a little bit subtle more subtle with what he does I don't know my, my heart is with Pacino in, in many ways because he was and it the, that's maybe why I've sentimental attachment to send of a woman because that's when I kind of saw him, him do something more uh, more elaborate and that got me interested in acting was his performance in send of a woman so and then I started watching his stuff from the 70s and uh, it got to a point where anything he was in I wanted to see I did
1: enjoy well, Cinderella 1 but I saw it years ago and I mean it's it is a movie that's kind of f- funny like his delivery
0: was ha, hooah. It's, it's just it's kind of- a weird script too a very interesting yeah. character I, he I, makes big choices in this movie too but i think there's there's no point in here i still felt like he was in he has extraordinary circumstances around him you know he in this film the entire motivation for robbing this bank is so he can get some money for his uh he has two families he has a, a a female wife and and two kids but he all of this is for his his wife who is a male that wants to become a female and to get the money from this to pay for the sex change operation because the two have had a falling out and there was a, a lot of stuff like for, for that time and like big things. And he's working with these really inexperienced bank robbers and he becomes a media figure. Like all all of this stuff happens overbearing mother, which is very Freudian. All, all of this stuff is there, but he, he he seems grounded as an actual person. What I like about this performance is, again, when you look at him as Michael Corleone, he seems like... He has it all, he's all together, he's calm, he's got it figured out throughout. He doesn't come unglued, even when he, when he, he yells a bit, but he doesn't completely lose it. Here we have a very sloppy criminal version, and we see that from moment one, when he tries to do this bank robbery and, and things go, go wrong fast, and then he's trying to get his way through all of these situations for the rest of the film he kind of develops a bit more confidence maybe overconfidence as we go along but i like the fact that he's not as polished and i think it makes for a more interesting character somewhat than michael corleone
1: he's also very um like he's not a sh- he's not a sh- psychopath or sociopath he just he he's very nice to everybody like he's making like all the ladies who work as the bank tellers you mentioned carol kane's one of them uh he's making them all feel uh, comfortable one of them is one of them is using his gun and kind of practicing like military stance at one point just for fun everybody in the bank was kind of comfortable like he wanted everybody to be Comfortable. Like he didn't want to lock everybody up in this, in the, uh, the vault or not, the, not the vault, but whatever. He was going to lock them up, but then he was like, Oh, you have to use the bathroom. Okay. Everybody use the bathroom. That's fine. You know, and yeah. Yeah, you have any of
0: this fully planned out. I mean, right. he thought he had it planned out, and, and he really is the smartest guy. Like they, He goes in with these two, and, and then the one kid kind of freaks out, and he wants to leave. He says, okay, go. That's fine. Go. And he's left with uh, John Cazell, who is... Now, apparently the real guy was 18 years old, so the, he was certainly a lot older than... And So he, so it's a representative of that character more than the actual character. And so maybe if the guy was 18 years old, some stuff that he says and does would make sense. But uh, John Cazell, I think, plays a bit psychopathic
1: yeah he looks like, like his his hair like was a big choice his hairstyle mm-hmm. was like really odd yeah kind of because he didn't really he was kind of quiet he was it seemed like he was willing to shoot somebody yeah. or or so or, or that he was he just wasn't he was very narrow-minded i guess it was and he, he didn't he, i mean they portrayed him so that he wasn't very smart like he thought that wyoming was another okay. country. so that Know that was
0: improvised too,
1: yeah. I think I did read that. That was that was improvised, but he was he was great. I know some of your listeners might not know uh John Cazal, but he was only in I believe five movies, they were all nominated for Best Picture, then he passed away
0: Dog Day Afternoon, Godfather 2, Godfather, and which one am I missing?
1: And The Conversation,
0: oh, The Conversation, of course, yeah, yeah. He worked with Coppola quite a bit there, so. Uh, it was a l- real loss. It's one of those things where you think, like, what this guy could—we could have been talking about him in the same breath as Nicholson and and Pacino and De Niro. Yeah, would have been maybe yeah, so a bit of a Christopher Walken type of figure almost. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So big fan. I mean, I was actually surprised putting all these together how my esteem for Dog Day is has increased i always yeah. it was a it's maybe not a classic where you, people will think about it in the same light as the godfather but when they think of al pacino they do think of dog day afternoon as being one of those great movies that he did in the 70s kind of uh i'd say kind of a masterpiece you know but yeah. it's still it doesn't feel as polished to some of the others but it it has a little bit more polish i would suggest than serpico
2: I'm in with Hancocks, the trainers. That's what he said, right? Look, right. he got me by the elbow. See, Ray? Messing about. Moving the flesh about on it. I was just going in. I had my three and six ready, right? when he come up to me. I'm in with Hancocks, the trainers, and I'll give you two. Two for the third race. Come on, you just make it. So I pulled out this inordinately large sum of money, which he immediately grabbed, you see, right? And he'd give me two. Hermosa of Selzden as number one and Polish auto. Hermosa of Selzden, right? Do it on a tote, he said. Do it on the forecast. So I went in and I shelled out ten shillings on Hermosa of Selzden and the other dog, right? I come back outside again, see how the betting was going? Hermosa of Selsden is 10 to 1. Right. I don't know why. This
0: guard instilled faith in me, mind. Right? I don't know why. I, I really do like to have obscure movies with very famous movies and there's a bit of an al pacino box set that came out several years ago that i had three films that pacino even though not necessarily on it's maybe for union rules or something his name was not always listed as the director but he 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 directed the movies or co-directed the movies and uh the next movie we were talking about the local stigmatic is one of those and what it was is the actor studio and in this case the actor studio in new york there's several branches. A friend of mine, who was a, a guest uh, critic on our, my science fiction show, Tim Hildebrand, uh, is now a member of uh, the Actor Studio in the Los Angeles branch. But in the New York branch, which had this huge history of these these method actors coming together, and what the the whole idea is, actors could take any role or any play that they're interested in, and it's kind of like exercise for them. They would they would work on a piece, and then they would go perform it and get some feedback. From anybody who, who happened to be there that night. And some people were experts and some people were students who had their own pieces prepared. And Al Pacino, by this point, this is 1990, he is a bona fide movie star. And the types of roles he's getting will typically be cops and gangsters and New York based roles. A few exceptions here or there. But he's always loved theater. And I think every year he would do a play or two off Broadway, sometimes off off Broadway. And he was very connected to to different playwrights. And he really liked this play called The Local Stigmatic and he developed it at the actor studio and then they went and shot this as a film and so in no world would Al Pacino and um, another terrific character actor Paul Guilfoyle who would be known from CSI, the TV show CSI he's in a horror movie I like called Session 9. He's been in a a million things over the years but these two guys would never be cast as Cockney characters and The Local Stigmatic is about these two Cockney essentially criminals who will stalk stalk people and torture them. And this is part of their their thing. But you watch the movie, it is it is kind of a tough one. To, you have to think about it, for sure. This is a short film, really short film. So essentially, the both men are sociopaths and they uh, play mind games kind of with each other as they go around and commit brutal acts of violence against victims that they kind of choose at, at random. And so in this case, our main victim is a British actor who is a little bit of a celebrity who they encounter, played by Joseph Maurer, who they, they meet at, I believe, a gay bar in London, and then they walk him home and they kind of act like, like fans, and then it, it kind of turns into this Really, really brutal act, and and then essentially we get a little bit of a, a scene after that, and, and that's it. And there's a big focus on Al Pacino's character having lost money at the dog tracks throughout. Right. And 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 so there's a look at celebrity. There's a look at, at different themes here. But I've watched this movie a couple times, and I'm still trying to get my head around it.
1: Yeah. I have. Uh, first off, uh, the actor studio. My my ex girlfriend. When when she was my girlfriend, she auditioned. Auditioned. She wanted to audition for the Actors Studio, so I went in with her. We did a scene, and it was interesting because we were kind of escorted in, and we went into a theater on, on the stage. And I don't know who was sitting in the audience or how many people. There was pitch black, and I don't think anybody even said anything. If I remember correctly, we just went in, did our scene, and walked out. And God knows who was there. Could have been Al Pacino himself. Could have been Ellen burston Could have been any of these people involved with the Actors Studio. I don't know who was there. We just we had a good experience. Today. Did it mostly because. Uh, she was interested in – she got a call back and then she made it to the next round. So it was good. Oh, cool.
0: And yeah. I mean, to get there is a real honor because yeah, – yeah. You know all the greats and Lee Strasberg, who uh, you had mentioned in in your story about uh, Pacino talking to, to to all of you on the set of The Irishman. Lee Strasberg, of course, acted with Pacino in Godfather Part Two, uh, but he was very much Pacino's teacher and the teacher to a lot of the the great Method actors that came out of the 1970s and and before that, of course. But he ran the studio for many years, and I I, I just think what what a great place to go if you get in. To go and 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 just work on on your craft. I I'm sure the feedback is brutal at points, but it's how you improve. And it's not a thing where okay, you have people who are given character roles all the time, so they're maybe given the chance to to try out a scene where they are the lead and try to try to develop things. And so again, I, I think Pacino is really appreciated. And so all of the the, the whole box set was about films that he did which he he worked on through through the actor's studio i like this movie but you're left with kind of a a dark place and i think that's that's intentional I, the, the the playwright as i understand it i i don't know a whole lot heathcote williams he was uh i guess a squatter and an anarchist in london and, and like many different things he was very much a, against society is how it how it ran so i i could see he, he almost maybe i get the sense he's he's more in tune with these two sociopaths than he would be with the older rich people who are uh, getting ahead without having to, to do as much
1: okay
0: it seems like it's kind of an ambiguity towards like this idea of just picking a victim at random and then attacking them that it, it reminded me of of some sections of a clockwork orange in, in in places which is a film i it's on my 10 favorites of all time but I don't recommend it a whole lot to everybody because it has that kind of in kind of brutal violence without any sort of consequence like these guys keep going on spoilers but they keep going on doing what they're doing and living their lives even though they kind of Tortured and, and and ruined the life of this particular actor and anybody else that that they've come across before. Um, yeah,
1: it's um, it's, I had never, well, I'd never heard of this until uh, you had suggested it, and I just I watched it today for the first time. It's it's on YouTube. anybody wants to see it, it's just there on YouTube for everyone to see. And so I don't even know if this is a movie. It's it's less than an hour, and it's I would have said it's a vanity project, but the way you just described it, it's there's a difference between a I can't really say it's a vanity project because he didn't really release it you know no it's, but it, it, it's more of like when you talk about the actor studio it's more of like an it's it's an acting it, it appears to be an acting exercise which yeah. is fine as long as you don't make anybody watch it um <laughs> you know what I mean because well, I think I, that, on this. <laughs> I think that Pacino um as soon as he opened his mouth and I heard it, oh you know what's going on I was like uh oh yeah. I was with you in some of these other <laughs> <laughs> I was with you with some of these very slight accents you're doing, but this this is a this is this is a toughie. And I would say I I, I do think that doing work like that makes you a better actor, but there's a reason why people don't want to see you do that kind of work. <laughs> First of all, I couldn't understand him. I had a lot of I had a, a lot of difficulty even understanding what was. I didn't really understand what was happening in the whole thing because it's a tough one. I couldn't get through his accent. I couldn't I couldn't understand what Pacino was saying, and it was. But it wasn't just that his accent was thick it was like he was using the it was probably the writing too because he was using like the, the uh, slang and the colloquialisms and i don't i don't have any cockney i don't have any deep cockney friends
0: yes and that uh, and like, that's where it reminded me of clockwork orange but you have more time in a clockwork orange to start to catch up to the vocabulary of uh, of the droogs and uh, malcolm mcdowell and it.
1: yeah i don't know it's there was a long scene it opens up with a long scene and i'm like, long- oh. We- Mm-hmm. Clear. This is clearly a play that yeah. you know. I'm. I. He must have financed this himself. It. It doesn't appear that direct the director has a lot of f- directing experience, at least f- film directing experience. You know, it says nothing. You know, it's, a,
0: a theater director who. Yeah, I, went along on the project. but
1: look like it should be on stage like there's a there's a there's a long scene in an in an apartment something about dog racing and i couldn't yeah. really get what was going on there then they're walking around there's a there's one part they're in a bar and the, the one character the other character says to Pacino, or or they start talking about what what you do in the last hour of your life and yeah. i thought that's a discussion you have on stage and not in a movie <laughs> That's yeah. a perfect theater discussion. That's not something people talk about
0: in a movie. I'll play a bit of defense. I am mostly there with you. I, I like the fact that it's kind of a rare movie to have. It's not, nobody's heard of it. Maybe for good reason. I don't know. The business with where Pacino is, uh, first of all, like his intention, he said, was that big long monologue he has at the beginning, he said he he knew he recognizes that the audience will go, oh, it's Al Pacino. And he had a big long monologue so that the audience would get used to Al Pacino talking in this voice, which I, I'm hearing that you never did get used to it. So it, okay. he, thought was, he thought that was a good I, idea, yeah. It's pretty good. It might be in the play too that there's that monologue, but...
1: I know, the, I, know, I know the copyright is 1990, but I was reading this was mid 80s. So he's got it kind of like a Scarface hair. So it's kind of like you're looking at Scarface to
0: an accent. I'm confused about it too a bit because uh, I I might have to dig into the history a little bit more. Because there was, uh, and I I don't know, they went to a movie. Oh,
1: yeah, it's The Elephant Man, but that would have been like
0: 1980, 81. Yeah, but I I was also not sure because it looked like The Elephant Man was combined with something else. So had they gone to a porno theater where they had The Elephant Man, but they had some, you know... I I wasn't completely sure, but if it was the Elfin Man, yeah, maybe they shot it in the 80s and they couldn't get it released or distributed until 1990. Well, it Uh,
1: wasn't, from from what I read, it played at the Museum of Modern Art, which is fine. That's fine. And that's about, and that's like, that's the only place. I don't know where they expected it to go because this was before before the internet as we know it. I don't think DVDs. Maybe like I don't think it was ever released on VHS or anything. So I think no. it was probably just a. I I, I don't I don't know, I don't know what they expected it to be. Probably just a project to do. Because remember, Pacino wasn't in movies after Revolution. He didn't do a movie for. F- four years. He was in Sea of Love four years after that.
0: Yeah, that brought him back a bit. and then, yeah,
1: and I think the local stigmata was with, with with in those four years. That was not his comeback film.
0: It was not his comeback. I think he started to do a lot of theater at that time, and he focused on being the creative force. Maybe he was think, thinking about transitioning into directing and producing instead of acting, and he was trying to do it that way. I think he... The accent goes in and out. I would agree with you on that. The dog race thing is that the fact that they published the odds and the odds were good for his horse, so he goes and he spends his money and he loses. His horse loses as a bit of a conspiracy against him that the powers that be do these things and and put the stuff in the newspaper to keep people down. And okay. then the whole thing about the last hour of your life is all of these celebrities in London in the paper commenting on what they do with the last hours of their life, which has no relation to these guys who are living in you know in the world that that they're in. And that gets gets Pacino's characters a bit of a hothead. And they're and but they're both so upset that they want to just sort of take this this out and this privilege out on somebody and then they spot this actor and they go and ingratiate themselves to him buying him a drink or whatever. And then get him in a situation where there's an empty street where they can just uh, beat him up carve up his face because he's an actor and this is going to, you know, affect his livelihood to, to beat him up to this level, and then they go on with their lives, and it's, it's very anarchist in its, its nature. I thought... Paul uh, Guilfoyle was actually the better of the two in the film.
1: Yeah, he doesn't have as much dialogue in it. It's really it's a uh, mostly Pacino.
0: He, he's listening and reacting, and it, it's always i It's almost like the John Cazale character in Dog Day. I'm always wondering what he's doing, and then but then he is absolutely brutal when the Pacino does all the talking, but the person actually doing most of the violence is uh, Guilfoyle. Oh yeah, I, I thought it was kind of a fascinating character for him, and I think the movie works out a little bit better. For him, as showing off the type of actor he potentially could be, because I mean, he's he's given cop roles or he's sometimes given criminal roles, and that's that's basically it.
1: Yeah, I, I recognized him, but I wasn't sure from what, and it wasn't CSI because I don't really watch that. But I've, I've seen, I must have seen him in movies over the years. And...
0: He's he's been working film for for decades, and yeah, I think he's kind of a safe bet. But he's not somebody that we think of a whole lot. I I've think it's an interesting it. experiment, but like you said, I think it's an experiment, and maybe it's not that watchable a film. Yeah, um,
1: I, I think. would be i'd recommend it for al pacino
0: completionists so i I guess that's that's why i'm bringing it forward here just because nobody's heard of it and it's just a different aspect of pacino as the theater artist i got a guy sure looks guilty he's a
2: freak they're gonna convict him of. i just don't like you well then he's gonna need a good lawyer for what am i being punished being the most successful music producer in the history of the world did you kill that girl i think he is not guilty first time you got felt up guess what you were listening to one of my songs you think i shot the girl <laughs> what can i do to defend him the prosecution is going to do everything in its power to break you you defend me If you get him off, what will you do when he kills the next girl? I know what this is costing you. This is a reverse! You have testified she had the gun in her mouth. I screamed, no! They kill men for telling the truth! They let O.J. go. They let Michael Jackson go. They are not gonna let him go. That's blood! You fucking murderer! Did you kill Lana Clarkson? Why would I kill that girl? Why? If you go off like that, you're going to jail for the rest of your life.
3: I've played this game a million times before! I know how the game is played!
0: I did an episode uh, with my uh, my friend Brandon, who is a car salesman on movies about sales. And we talked about Glengarry Glen Ross. And we talked about David Mamet. And of course, Pacino is in uh, the film version of Glengarry Glen Ross. And I really, really love David Mamet as a writer. I Some people have some issues with him, I guess. But I I, f- I feel like his scripts, and it is all scripted, his scripts sound like real people talking. It's like people like the Coen brothers are, are like this in a way. Woody Allen, who I am an apologist uh, for, for Woody Allen, where a lot of it is actually on the page, but it doesn't sound like it's on the page. And, and and so I really like Mamet as a writer. I think he has potential as a director. I liked a movie that he did called The, the Spanish Prisoner. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, I, I think the real strength if you're going to have him do a film, is Mamet as as the screenwriter. But then he can work really well. Like, say, he was a co-writer for Wag the Dog, and then he had Barry Levinson was the director for that movie, he wrote the screenplay for The Untouchables, uh, which I'm going to review in a future show, and Brian De Palma was the director. But it, it's interesting to me. I mean, it was nice that he he's collaborated with Pacino a few times here, that he, he wrote and directed this HBO film called Phil Spector about Phil Spector, who, if... People in a younger generation know Phil Spector. They will know him more as a criminal and from a very famous appearance in the courthouse where he had this outrageous afro uh, that that he was wearing. And so I, I think what's interesting about this movie is that the whole, you might just feel free to disagree with me on this, but I think the whole thing is Mamet wanted to set up reasonable doubt that there's reasonable doubt that Phil Spector, who got convicted of for, for killing this woman who wanted to be uh, a, a movie star. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's what we see in, in a lot of these scenes. Pacino plays Specter and then we also have Helen Mirren, who plays Linda Kenny Baden, who is uh, brought in uh, she teaches at a law school and she starts to work on Spectre's defense. She's brought in by Bruce Cutler, played by Jeffrey Tambor, to take on this case. And Tambor has to convince her to take on the case and then there's a bit of a reversal later on where he starts to back away from the case and she takes it on full throttle there. To me, I, I think you you had, we'd been messaging about the movies and you had commented that this might have worked well as uh, a stage play.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. that's, I think, well, yeah, here's a good example. Cause like I was, I was saying that the local stigma, stigmatic, <laughs> stigmatic. Yeah. I didn't want to say stigmata. I was just, yeah,
0: it's easy to say um,
1: yeah. stigmata. That's kind yeah. of bleak yeah and the local stigmatic is right. it looks, looks like it should be on stage and not in a movie but but this this worked as a movie and i think i think it could be adapted you know for the stage because there were long scenes where it was just helen mirren and, and uh, al pacino it would it would work great as a stage show i think if you know it would just have to be kind of adjusted a little bit um but yeah I, I i like this movie um very much i i i'm glad that we're doing this podcast and i i was i only watched it for this podcast because i had it I worked on it for three days as as a as an extra. I had a terrible experience working on it. It wasn't because of uh, Amit or uh, Pacino; like, they were there, but they, they didn't, it was because of like different things that were that were happening, other background people, and like the ads and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it wasn't a what wasn't a great place to work. But I'm glad I saw it because I did really enjoy it. It was. Uh, Really interesting. I thought as far as reasonable doubt goes, I thought they made a strong case that Phil Spector was innocent. Although they didn't, they maintained that, that Helen Mirren character like maintained that she had her doubts, but they made a pretty strong case there. I thought. By the way, shout out to Anna Clarkson. She was actually the person who was shot. Anna Clarkson was the. She was. I think at that point she was an older actress when she was either. Well, either she shot herself or she was murdered. We don't know. Yeah. She was in the. She was in the movie Amazon Women on the Moon, which is one of my all-time favorite movies.
0: Another fun fact is uh, she acted in Scarface. Oh, did kid. she? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's always important if it was as she, they say she was murdered. But it, yeah, I mean, this was the victim. whatever whatever it was. I, I really like the dialogue. The right. Is, is, is very tight and the film is quite tight huge compliment to it there's a couple things I'll say about Mamet in a positive way as a director of this film I, I was starting off by almost saying that he's making it sound like he's not a great director I think he's a, a serviceable director and he has the potential to be a great director but his his bread and butter is is writing he's an amazing writer and those scenes you're talking about with Helen Mirren and Al Pacino and the, the opening scene too with Helen Mirren and Jeffrey Tambor going back and forth the Like I'm a dialogue guy, and I love crisp dialogue, and I I just the dialogue leading to interesting characters. So I was engaged from beginning to end with, with, with this because of how well-written it is. And and Helen Mirren, it's, it's very much against type. I mean, I, she, she hasn't been asked to, to play a lot of American characters. Uh, when i looking, again, looking at the fun facts with Phil Spector, apparently Bette Midler was supposed to play that role. But then she ended up with some, some physical injury or something. She was supposed uh, to play the Helen Mirren role? Yeah and so Helen Mirren jumped in kind of at the last minute and become uh, I, I don't know if it's controversial or not I think the performance of the movie is Helen Mirren more than Al Pacino.
1: Yeah, I think Helen Mirren especially these the movies that we're looking at right now uh, the Women who who act against, or actually, any of the actors really who act against uh, Al Pacino, Helen Mirren really truly holds her own. She does, yeah. Um, as as opposed to some, you know some of these movies, it's it's like the Al Pacino show or Al Pacino just blowing everybody else off the screen when he's there. But she, you know he really was going toe to toe with with her, and she was she was probably improving his performance because he was very good in this movie as well.
0: Yeah, they're they're back and forth. I mean, of their the, there's kind of these, and I maybe I don't know if I'm missing one, but there's been the, the four. HBO projects that Pacino has starred in. It's kind of starting with Angels in America, uh, directed by Mike Nichols, then I think you don't know Jack. I think was before Phil Spector,
1: and then the other one is that the other one is is the Joe Paterno movie.
0: Barry, Barry Levinson was involved with. Uh, you don't know Jackie directed it, but I, he I believe he's an executive producer with Tom Fontana, his uh, his producing partner. They did Homicide, Life on the Streets, and Oz, and, and TV shows like that. I think we're connected to Phil Spector. I I, I do sense like this is Pacino is quite good. He has some big moments very within his range as an actor, but he is, he has the voice for Spectre, definitely had the look, but it it feels like. With this one, and and I really like uh, him in Angels in America, and I like him in You Don't Know Jack. But these roles feel a little bit like he's playing real life characters, and he's playing dress up as opposed to he was playing real people in Dog Day Afternoon and Serpico. But he somehow made them his own. I, I, I felt like he, I, he's not an outside in, but it feels like a lot is he is relying a lot on the dialect and the the costumes to to convince us of, that he's the character. And I'm not right. always convinced. Well, you mean
1: Kind of distracting, like you still, you're not, you're not buying that he's, Phil Spector of the whole movie. You're just I thinking
0: think it's a good performance, but I'm I'm not. I'm, I'm seeing this is Al Pacino playing Phil Specter as opposed to I'm watching Phil Spectre.
1: Oh yeah, you know yeah, I
0: guess so. That's yeah. yeah. Picky. I mean, I, it, I I just talked about. Did uh, you think uh, you did black and white films? I reviewed a Humphrey Bogart uh, movie Key Largo, mm-hmm. and they're Humphrey Bogart. You can't get around that this is Humphrey Bogart in every role. It's just it's, the character is a little bit different, and so maybe that's. Uh, an extra challenge for Al Pacino is you're always going to be seeing Al Pacino somewhere in there. So maybe it's an unfair criticism uh, of him when I'm comparing his, his, his work where it's a fictional story or or his work in the 70s to now but it, it does feel like he, he, he's maybe having a little bit more fun with it than he used to and he's being given some interesting roles on television that for a while he hasn't been given in, in film that much and so but it's you know after a while I'm I, I'm there with it and Mamet's dialogue is so good and Helen Mirren is so good working off of him that I'm, I'm kind of willing to forgive that
1: yeah it, it is interesting this phase of his career that he's that he's playing all these you know he, so, well roy cohen i guess we could say because angels america then you know paterno then specter then, then he played hoffa and so it's like that's at this point in his career i guess that's what he what is available to him and what he's you know he's doing he must have made some kind of deal with hbo i guess i guess they they said hey here's a opportunity for you
0: well so. i think it's with HBO, but it's also with the pe- the creative forces behind this. Right, are, yeah. work with Mike Nichols. He's worked with uh, Barry Levinson, uh, and and the you know that relationship, and they and he worked with David Mamet, and they they'll call him up and they'll want him to be in there. If Al Pacino wants to, I'm doing a movie about my life, and Al Pacino wants to play my mother, and he calls me up and is interested. I'll cast him as my mother. You know, I, I'm guessing he can pretty much do anything he wants now, and I'm glad that we're getting more projects from him, and. He still is maintaining the respect that he's always had. He's not kind of like you talked about Marlon Brando and the d- diminishing returns in the last 10 15 years of his career. Yeah, we aren't getting that with Pacino, it's still very good stuff that he's doing. So it's, he's being appreciated still by a lot of folks. I have another high compliment two compliments for David Mammoth as a director. I actually had no idea that it was shot in the New York area. Does a good job of camouflaging it and making it look like it's shot in LA. And the other one is in this is even higher praise. There are sequences in here which are really creepy, almost to the level of *Silence of the Lambs*. That scene where he is—he is that media frenzy, and he's coming up for his really important court appearance. And Helen Mirren is so sick, and she's she's worked so hard to get his testimony ready, and and they're all ready to go. And like the. The way that was edited with the the cameras, and she can't get a good look, and then and then it's like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And he op- he comes out through the elevator, and he's got that that big yeah Afro yeah, wig good. on, and he's and, and, and she stops everything right there. I I thought that sequence was brilliant. I mean, it was that that shows how good a director um, I think Mamet could be. He gets the suspense, he gets the uncertainty, he gets the creepiness of Spectre, but still sets up that that reasonable doubt. I like the film of, like, Phil Spector, and I, I do agree with you, it, it could be a just a, an amazing stage play as well. Was was there anything else you kind of wanted to say? That This is one where you had kind of one day working with Pacino, and you got to see how Mamet works as, as a director. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Oh, I
1: as I said, I didn't see, I was there for the, I, I was one of the protesters outside the courthouse. So there's a scene where the woman's yelling, uh, back to Mano, and she throws blood on him. I was there for for that, I was there for when they blooded blood and are, Phil's character, yeah, yeah, through. And uh, I didn't really see, didn't see too much of them. I saw uh, Jeffrey Tambor kind of introduced. to like uh, you know put his hands out and like introduce us to Pacino and like yay. I was into Helen Mirren. As far as David Mamet, I just saw. I mean, I just saw him working with the crew. He just kind of blended in with the crew. He did, he seemed like a blue collar guy and just yeah. you know fit in with everybody else. It's it's kind of hard to I well it's it's because I work with a lot of different directors. Like I, and it's, it's, uh, some of them are not, like I work with Steven Soderbergh on a, a project and he was very distinct because Soderbergh operates his own camera. He's riding around with the camera and he's directing us. Like he directed me. You know, I, was, I was playing a bartender in this thing. And usually you don't have, so like Soderbergh was a, an unusual director because he was like so hands-on. But usually it's like the director's kind of working with the crew. Sometimes you don't even see, see the director that much. Yeah, um yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Scorsese because uh, when we, the next- with the Irishman because he's definitely a... Um, well,
0: I'm fascinated he, by all these, how, how, how they yeah. work because yeah almost limited watching their stuff and becoming, you know, almost falling in love with their work. But sometimes I've heard people who have actually worked say, well, it's not that wonderful or romantic once you see behind behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz or something. But but then there are others who are just like really, they are as, as good as their reputations and they're actually nice people to work with too. Well, so. yeah,
1: mostly I don't have a, I don't have a tremendous amount of, uh, first-hand experience with the directors usually, um, usually, usually the usually the direction I get is like from the s- second AD, and i I'm, 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 I mean, if I'm an extra and something, so it would, it, it might come from the director to the AD to the s- second AD, and then I hear it. But I know I, I can, but I can tell like how efficient a director is often if they're just shooting scenes over and over and over again. F- forever it's like okay they're they're still trying to figure things out and then there are other directors who are really prepared and know what they want and it doesn't take that long yeah. but
0: but yeah it's good to know like as far as Mammoth as a director that he's kind of a workman's director he's right in there with the crew i think it's maybe maybe a chicago route i'm sorry that you didn't have a great time shooting it but
1: uh it wasn't Mammoth's fault it was uh, a shenanigans going on behind the yeah. scene
0: it's over they're all gone
3: frank it's time it's time you say what happened
2: Frank, I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino Better watch, there's a lot of tough guys around here Did he tell you?
3: You're not afraid of tough guys, are you I didn't think so
2: I was one of a thousand working stiffs Until I wasn't no more You got a good friend here You don't know how good a friend you got Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just wanna say I'm sorry. I know I wasn't a good dad, I know that. I know that I was just trying to, to protect all of you. From what? You didn't see what I see, what I've been through friend of ours is having a little trouble. friend at the top. Hiya Frank, this is Jimmy Hoffa. Glad to meet you. Big business and the government is on the attack! Do you wanna be a part of this fight? A part of this history? Whatever you need me to do, I'm available.
3: Only three people in the world have one of these. And only one of them is Irish. You know how strong I made you?
2: things they don't know i know
3: he said that you sure he said that
2: i'm worried nobody threatens Hoffer i got records i got tapes they're done i had to put you into this thing sooner or later everybody put here as a date when he's gonna go
0: the Irishman. I gave this a a bit of a Reader's Digest review at the start of COVID. I had to do a little bit of a filler show. And I decided, and I thought I'll, I'll do this as a series as I go along. I'm not a big fan of the five to 10 best picture uh, nominee rule at the Academy Awards that they've gone with for last, I don't know, 15 years or whatever. So I've decided uh, every once in a while, I will look back on different years and shed the nominations down to the five that I feel should have been the the five if we had gone back to the the old way of doing the Academy Award nominations there. Mm -hmm. And so I talked about The Irishman. It is an epic three and a half hour movie that I've now seen three times and gets better with every time I watch it. So I I feel like when we're talking about The Godfather, which is a legitimate classic, uh, I, I think The Irishman, I hope... In 40 years, we're going to be talking about The Irishman and saying The Irishman is a classic as well. I, I love it, and I made it clear in that show that I there were three movies on that list. Um, none of them are the ones that won, even though I was very happy just for the future of movies that Parasite, a non-English language film, won Best Picture. But I think The Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and 1917 are modern-day classics. And to have them all in the same year was just kind of a... Amazing. 1917, I haven't seen. It's worth checking out. Uh, What I said is, if possible, if you can watch it in the highest quality... Like, it was a big screen movie, and obviously now it's no longer big screens. If you have some means to see it on a 4k blu-ray on a 4k tv uh with the sound up i mean that's that's the way to see that movie there are very few movies now where i i'd say in, in in this this world where you have to have that kind of experience but uh uh, 1917 is that but it's ironic in a way because we're talking about the Irishman I wasn't a big fan of the idea of Netflix producing feature length movies and I Roma I, Al, Alfonso uh, Caron's Roma I appreciated quite a bit it started to bridge the gap for me but when I heard Scorsese was doing the Irishman through Netflix I was like really? Mm-hmm. arguably the greatest film director of all time is doing his movie through a streaming service and I think the Irishman would work well on the big screen but it also works well through netflix and through through means like that so uh, i'm an enormous fan of it uh but i'm going to let you do most of the talking because in the previous episode i made several points about what i like about it and then we'll just going kind to of play off that and this is the one where you had the most exposure to al pacino
1: yeah yeah
0: Martin as it turns out yeah well i think that i think that
1: the this was a this was the big swing for netflix i think netflix truly wanted to win an oscar here which they didn't win any i don't think, I think it was up for many oscars i don't think it won well, any
0: I think ten nominations and it, it was shut out
1: yeah okay i saw this movie probably about three months ago so this is this movies not quite as fresh as the other ones i was i worked on it quite a bit i was in like six scenes or something like that what i noticed about because i work with the uh, scorsese on the wolf of wall street as well and i worked on the scene there's a scene towards the end of the movie where uh people are getting arrested in, in a Cuban restaurant, and just uh, he was just a very efficient director. It was a huge uh, tracking shot, and it was like they did it maybe three, or four times, and it was just very, um, I don't know, it was very efficient. You could just, like all the, the, the a lot of the adjustments and everything that were made. It was a very complicated shot. They got that thing wrapped up. I was also in the scene in, in the Irishman where there, there's like a smoky, uh, it was like a smoky house where there was like a teamster meeting, and of course, Scorsese wasn't. I realized he wasn't going to be in the room because he has asthma, mm-hmm. so he was kind of. Like he was kind of like on the outside, so it was kind of interesting. There's um, a lot of smoking in his movies, for yeah. He can't be he he can't be in the room when that that stuff's happening. So he's kind of like off to off to the side. Yeah, he's just uh, it's. Funny because we all know he's the greatest movie. He, he's like you know he's he's like as you say he's arguably the, the greatest director ever or the greatest director al- alive. And then I work on a shoot with him. I'm like, hey, he is a good director. Yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: good to hear. He's
1: a Good director. That's, that's a, that director is actually pretty good. A Scorsese. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like,
0: <laughs> he, he actually is good. Build up is, is is so that if I'm going to work with him or meet him, my expectations are to the moon and back. If if I'm good. Yes. My ridiculous appraisal is I am Kurt Fitzpatrick. I've worked with many
1: directors and I can honestly say Martin Scorsese is a good director. Uh, <laughs> based on my personal experience, for yeah. what it's worth, that might
0: not be worth anything. You, one could argue that, but I'm yeah, telling two you. projects now and two I'm telling you. Two brilliant projects. There's something that... <laughs> There's something where I've always said he's one of the greatest of all time. But after The Irishman, I saw it the first time, and I didn't know how long it was. I I really didn't want to know too much about it. I knew about the Jimmy Hoffa connection and some of those things, but I wanted to go in. I didn't want to wa- wa- read a review or anything like that. I wanted to go in cold, and I and I it was an entire evening, and I watched it beginning to end nonstop, and I was riveted. I could not. Yeah, it was. I could not have left it. I you know for and. And I've returned to it and it knowing what I know goes on, it gets even better. There's these little details, which are, are just so well thought out. Steven's yeah, alien was the screenwriter writer of it too. Uh, I think the screenplay didn't get enough credit in, in this. I, I was surprised it didn't win for uh, for writing. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of thought Scorsese wasn't going to win for director uh, for a couple of reasons. Even though I, he's won, he won for for The Departed, I don't see why he couldn't, as the greatest director of all time, have two Oscars. That's my... But, I've heard,
1: years ago, I heard that, that Scorsese isn't that popular in L.A. Yeah. No, he, they, doesn't really, he doesn't really play the game out there.
0: He doesn't, no. Yeah. He, he still kind of goes back to his independent roots. And he makes these great films where you have no choice but to nominate. But maybe he doesn't play that campaign or that game. I mean, everybody owes everything to him and they praise him, but then they don't vote for him. I think the other thing that happened within the same time that lost him votes with the Academy was when he said Marvel Cinema is not really cinema oh yeah that was a recent thing yeah yeah and that was even mentioned by some of the comedians at the award shows during the this uh past season that he he said that and so modern voters won't vote for him because he's dissing the avengers and iron man i guess but you just have to look at the work it's uh, it's just absolutely outstanding so
1: yeah i think well i don't think many people saw Silence. I think you and I saw it.
0: That's a good movie. Silence, yeah. Yeah.
1: The, 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 yeah, yeah I like that. Very good. I, I went to see that. That was another. Uh, SAG screening mm-hmm. and uh, Scorsese was there and there was a so you know, he was there after the movie it was him and some other people and there was like a guy in the front row like Scorsese's like oh right there there's our financer there was a guy sitting there in the front row who literally financed the whole, the whole movie yeah. and then somebody said somebody like there was like a kind of a Q&A and somebody was saying like now th- obviously this movie is not going to be like a big hit <laughs> Sc- 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 Scorsese's like Ugh. he's put it, like his head Oh, <laughs> he's like it's like well it's like come on you know yeah are so people going to see uh, this or the Avengers what are they going to go see that's probably why it's made at the Avengers it's kind of an insulting question I mean it's a pretty I don't remember how it was framed and I think it may film. have been I think someone may have been like asking yes yeah, somehow it came up or it would, may have been like a, the question wasn't towards Scorsese it was to like the producer or something but it was yeah. mentioned like well obviously this isn't you know you don't expect this to be like a big hit and like, Marty, I like, market
0: this movie and get people Marty was hoping that silence was going to be a big hit uh. Oh, well. Well, I mean, this is Last Temptation of Christ, Kundun, and Silence. My guest, Lee, on the controversial show where we were reviewing The Last Temptation of Christ said, they're all religious movies. But I said, those three are overtly religious films. Yeah. The Irishman is a religious film because the entire thing is a confession by a man who has said nothing and now is sitting in the, the last years of his life. And he survived all of this against all odds. But he's not confessing necessarily to the priest or to the FBI all he's done he's confessing to us as the audience of the film and yeah
1: I thought it was fun I thought it was fun to see uh, Joe Pesci again. It was a little bit odd so, seeing him seeing him older, but he just we just haven't seen him in a while. And it was great to see him and him with I don't remember the last time I even saw him in a movie. I think the last movie was like Lethal Weapon four and I think he did some movie about a brothel which I never saw like a smaller movie.
0: But he, he made a, uh kind of a one scene appearance in a Robert De Niro directed movie called The Good Shepherd that okay. had Matt Damon. I, I think there's only two men in the world that can convince Joe Pesci to show up for a movie now. One's Martin Scorsese and the other is Robert De Niro. And They spent years trying to get the finances to make uh, The Irishman and uh, they called up Pesci and he was willing to do it again. I I just talked about my black and white episode again referencing um, uh, Key Largo about Edward G. Robinson and how Edward G. Robinson was known as the hot-headed gangster in all of these film noirs and in that movie he kind of steals key largo because he becomes the boss and he's a lot more restrained and methodical and here we have Pesci who was known for like stabbing somebody in the neck with a pen in Casino or uh some of some of those like outrageous scenes in Goodfellas and this is a much calmer more mature Pesci playing mm-hmm. the don and the boss and instead of him screaming and shouting and swearing and attacking somebody it's in a facial expression mm-hmm. right like de Niro will sit down he sees Pesci's facial expression and he knows exactly what he has to do, and it's the same result, but it's it's very subtle. And I I I I, I don't always want something as as wild as a tie with the Academy Awards, but I would have liked to see Brad Pitt and Joe Pesci tie for Best Supporting Actor. Pesci did no, he didn't go to any of the award ceremonies, did no campaigning. There was again that he wasn't going to win because of of that. There could be an argument that this was his best screen performance.
1: Okay, yeah, I thought I I, I thought Pacino was goodness. Uh, as well, if I remember correctly. It was uh, Hoffa. I remember watching him do it and thinking, like, he's way older than, than Hoffa was. How are they going to pull this off? I wasn't aware of the...
0: The age stuff they yeah. were... I didn't know that, too. Yeah. I Casting and I was like Seriously? How is this going to work With Pacino as Hoffa? Yeah. And that okay. I think you wrote the story It was similar to the one You were t- talking about Where he was um, On set Listening to tapes of Hoffa And then he gave the speech You wrote about that On Facebook I think And you said Then he delivers a speech And he sounds just like Al Pacino doing a- Yeah He sounds like Al Pacino Yeah, yeah. I
1: said, Now that I'm kind of Watching all these movies I do Yeah it's, it's Al Pacino Giving a speech Or yelling Or something like that But there but there are little Subtle differences When he's making these Subtle, subtle differences
0: Like it well,
1: which I'm Here, seeing more now that I've watched all these movies back to back.
0: That was the weak link. The first time I watched The Irishman was I wasn't quite on board with Pacino. I was happy to see him in a Scorsese film finally yeah. with yeah. and De Niro, but I kind of didn't buy him in the role. I thought it was a bit big, and and so I, I was didn't hate it, but I compared to everybody else, I I fell in love with Robert De Niro's performance in this. I think it's the best thing De Niro has done in years, and he centered him so well i thought he might have gotten consideration for a best actor nomination and he was of the 10 nominations he he didn't best actor is always a tough field to get into i think but uh i think he was just so subtle in what he was doing but so it was de niro and pesci who i was impressed with going back and seeing it a couple more times i have started to realize how good pacino is i'm do, I have done kind of, and I still am doing a bit of an unfair comparison. Have you ever seen the Danny DeVito-directed Hoffa movie with Jack Nicholson? Yes,
1: but many years ago. I, I saw that when it, when it uh, came
0: out. I, I- and, and Nicholson's a guy who it's hard for him to disappear and not be Jack but right. I thought that was one of his best performances and I thought he totally became Jimmy Hoffa and I think he does a better job of playing Hoffa than Pacino you know he okay. gets a lot more screen time and is able to show different elements like the uh, how he wouldn't drink alcohol he drinks all that ginger ale and he loves uh, ice cream sundaes and, and like some of those the great research that Stephen Zalian did in, in, in writing the film I, I think all of that's there in the the characterization of Hoffa is great, and the theory that they they put forward of how Hoffa was killed seems pretty legit to me. But I think if I'm looking at the top three, I still have to kind of go. Pacino's was third place, and, and De Niro and Pesci were 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 ahead of him. But I don't dislike what he does playing Jimmy Hoffa.
1: And Harvey Keitel was in this movie as well. As well, yeah. they weren't they weren't
0: touting ch- 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 him as, as much as everybody else. But
1: he was well, he was in it. And he had a role.
0: There's I have a bit of a theory, but I haven't been able to kind of pinpoint all of it, but there are moments where I think Scorsese does slight homages to some of his older films. There's a sequence with these guns being laid out, and De Niro is picking the right guns to take for a a job, which reminded me a lot of Taxi Driver, the scene where where he's buying guns in there. There's there's allusions to Casino, there's allusions to uh, Goodfellas. Uh, There's this whole bit where uh, with Pesci giving instructions connected to De Niro having to do a job connected to uh, the... Invasion of Cuba to try to kill Fidel Castro, and Pesci is talking about this redheaded guy named David Ferry. Joe Pesci in played David Ferry in Oliver Stone's JFK. Oh wow, okay, an illusion there. There's
1: oh, because that was a real guy. Yeah, yeah. He was, was playing a real guy. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then there's in The Godfather, there's, of course, the scene I talked about before, where which kind of earned Pacino his career in some ways, where he did he does the the assassination in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Well, there's an assassination in an Italian restaurant that De Niro talks through what he has to do, and then he goes and he does it, and he drops the gun, and it, it's kind of in a, a similar vein to that assassination. So there's a little bit of an homage to The Godfather in there. I mm-hmm. think Scorsese's intentionally or unintentionally throwing in some allusions to the history of film and the movies he's been in and his era of cinema in in The Irishman quite effectively. So, so he brought in a lot of his collaborators. It's interesting that DiCaprio wasn't in there, but DiCaprio is kind of a, a modern day collaborator, but he brought... Yeah. Harvey Keitel and who Harvey Keitel was kind of his De Niro before he started working with De Niro on Mean Streets and all of those movies and so they've been collaborators since uh, who's that knocking on my door in the late 60s so it was really cool to see all of all of the stars aligned to get all of these people together for what I think is a great movie I, I think if anything is kind of going to go against it I don't mind long movies but modern audiences do and the other piece it was criticized for with that anti-age technology was that scene where De Niro beats up the 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 grocery store owner who shoved his daughter oh yeah and so De Niro looks a little bit stiff while he's kicking the guy because I mean he's 70 some years old and he's supposed to be playing somebody in his I don't know 20s or 30s in that that moment but I I think that they're really grasping at straws to criticize the movie for for that stuff yeah yeah controversially i actually think now i'm willing to say i like the irishman more than the godfather oh
1: wow that's that's how much i
0: i I love this movie
1: wow i um I'll have to, you know, have to watch it again. Yeah, I don't know the thing about being long. I mean, it's on Netflix where people are used to binge watching hours and hours of a show. So they don't have to watch it all at once.
0: It's the equivalent of maybe four episodes of uh, an hour long drama, like uh, four yeah. episodes of Stranger Things or something like that. So it's.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And as Chris is no stranger to homages, I remember I may have already mentioned this, but I, I went to a screening with Kundan when he was there. Mm-hmm. This is this years ago. And, I remember, and, the, and so, so someone's on stage interviewing him and he's basically pointing like she's she's mentioning this shot and he's like oh yeah that's the uh, rebel heart cause shot because it's like every every shot was like an homage to uh something else like he's not yeah. taking credit for anything
0: yeah no I think he, he he's a student into film he again as he said he had asthma he couldn't go out like like other kids did so it, his thing was he watched a lot of, of movies growing up and that was his education that and uh Catholicism and yeah. he's blended the two together into you know one of the most remarkable film careers and I'm glad that he's still working i know he has a a project that i don't know where they're at with shooting they probably thought they would have been able to shoot it by now with dicaprio and and de niro coming up and it it was a long stretch without working with de niro he went from casino in 1995 to the irishman uh that was a long time the collaborators that 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 great to not work together and so i'm glad that they're continuing on and I'll, i'll i'll show up even when he starts I mean, we're starting to see with Clint Eastwood some diminishing returns, but he's still working in his 90s. So I would be happy to get 10 more years or more of Martin Scorsese films.
3: Yeah, He wants to kill me so bad he can taste it. Okay, i going to kill him.
0: Thank you again so much for being on the show here, and I appreciate you taking the time to watch all these movies, but uh, to spend a few hours here talking about Al Pacino and the other people connected to Al Pacino from these uh, six films. Al Pacino. Well, thank Ooh. you very much. Be,
1: yeah. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I know. I know. Uh, thank you for being patient with me because I know you asked me to do this. <laughs> Uh, a while back now we're here doing it and i got the opportunity to watch these uh these movies and it was just it, it's been great it's been it's a great experience yeah
0: and i, and I hope uh, i can talk you into to doing another another show here first off the godfather how many wow. points you had 60 points to work with how many points are I, feel the like
1: a, I feel like a doctor delivering a, uh, <laughs> d- delivering a diagnosis here we go <laughs> just make it quick all right oh boy okay all okay. right the Godfather The Godfather is 12. Serpico is Ten dog day afternoon. Thirteen. Then we have the local sigmatic. Sigmatic gets a two. Then Phil Spector gets an eleven, and the Irishman gets a twelve. Okay. So I, it's kind
0: of you, you did a good job of spreading the points out. I mean, with, uh, the obvious exception of the one that you ob- obviously felt was uh, was was the, the weakest one here. So yeah, fair enough. So m- sometimes I, I like to spread the points out a little bit, but I, I did a couple of my I, I went uh, for a few more points here and there but i gave the godfather 15 points it is a masterpiece and it's my favorite of the three and I like all three godfather films and so I was really really surprised that I didn't like Serpico this time as much and maybe if you talk to me another day I'll be back to where I was the first time I saw Serpico but I gave it five points Dog the Afternoon was great I I wasn't willing to give it as many points as a couple of the big ones here but I gave it 11 points too so we're not far off because you gave gave it 13. Local Stigmatic I apologized for I like it as a a Pacino completist, and as an experiment, and to see what can come out of the actor studio, I gave it seven points. So that may be viewed as as generous. I also gave. Phil Spector, seven points. I recognize the quality is quite a bit more polished in Phil Spector than the local stigmatic, but I think both show kind of an interesting points in Pacino's careers, and so. But they were up against, to me, those two were up against some heavyweights here. And as I said, Irishman, I love. I gave the Irishman fifteen points. Uh, I kept it the same as the Godfather, but I am starting to come around to this idea that I actually think I the Irishman I I love even more. when i first saw it and i fell in love with it immediately so so where that leaves us is as it happens there's a tie of 27 points for the top so godfather and uh, the irishman and then the next one then with 24 points close behind is dog day afternoon then Serperco has 15 points Phil Spector has 18 points and the movie that I have to uh, lose from my movie shelf is the local stigmatic that only got nine points. So here's the local stigmatic. What would you like me to do with the local stigmatic? You should
1: rent a theater and have a screening of that movie. No, have a run of it. Four wall that movie, as they used to say. Um, <laughs> and then let it just die on the vine. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what? are the options? Are you like? Are the options? Are you, are you eat it or are you? You? I don't want you to do that. But do you earn it? I don't want you to start fires. So these are ways that you just you, you to like just dispose of it, right?
0: Yeah. I, I the, the only rule is I can't have it on my my shelf anymore. So like- some guests have found creative ways that I still have access to these, but but they can't appear on my shelf. Some guests have had me various levels of giving these away. So far, only one guest has asked me to destroy a disc. Um, oh, no. Well, if you want
1: to keep it, that's fine. Or you could give it to a library; they, they might enjoy that.
0: <laughs> the library idea. Uh, so this would be the third third one for the library. But I I like that idea. If, uh, unless you uh, you have a preference one way or the other.
1: No, that's fine. As long yeah, you know, as long as you're okay. Because I guess your idea behind this show is you're trying to unload some of
0: your DVDs. Yeah, my my movies. Yeah. So that you know, as so, I get older, I don't have room for all this stuff anymore, and they're overtaking my house like <laughs> so my apartment that I live in so uh so that's uh that, that was the that was the idea excuse to watch movies that I own and have somebody on and talk about movies i mean that's really what yeah. The purpose is so.
1: Because I was going to say, it's a much more time-consuming approach than Marie Condos. So, <laughs> but I'm glad. I'm glad this that you you've uh, created this 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 op- opportunity. Yeah, yeah a, a library. Because I think I think a library would be the right place for that.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, people will see it and see Pacino, and you know, that maybe people are maybe more willing to take a risk if it's you know they can lend it out and it's free as opposed to you know paying money. But of course, it, again, we want to say it's an interesting experiment, and if you're interested in what we said about it you can check it out for free on youtube i believe well we will uh we will have you on again just before i i wrap things up here with the show again i want to plug uh, my friend larry parson's show rank and review please uh, check it out it's, it's well worth listening to uh it very much got me into this idea of podcasting particularly movie review podcasting and one more time your podcast reviewing hallmark movies
1: yes it's called a lifetime of Hallmark available wherever you can find a and
0: lifetime, it has lifetime movies and
1: hallmark yes movies. a lifetime of Hallmark
0: so Lifetime of Hallmark I'll, I'll be sure every episode from now on I'll do a shout out for it and find it on all good places that you can find podcasts please folks uh, check out this episode and, uh, and and my previous episodes start sharing them out you can find me on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and, and, and all of these great places uh, you can uh, like and uh, join my Facebook page Shelf Shedding Movie Show please send me some feedback either through Facebook or uh, through email. My email for the show is there's no da the in front. It's shelf shedding at gmail.com. Be happy to hear if you want to get mad at me about the fact that I said the uh, Irishman's better than The Godfather, but then I said The Godfather's better than the Godfather part two. Any of the thoughts that you have about I think it's fair to call him the great Al Pacino. And so it was cool to be able to talk about Pacino movies with somebody who's actually worked with Pacino and seen him in action there. So well, forward Folks, everybody, we're still in COVID times, uh, so please be safe out there and wear your mask. And please continue to support theater artists all over the world and filmmakers and go to the movies. And when it works out, hopefully people will go back and see theater again. And I look forward to a day that I get to see you on stage. Thank you. I really like your voice and uh, uh, your creativity and, and, and your approach. It was really cool years ago that I got to meet you and I got to talk to you about your shows and, and get like kind of your idea. But then I knew you were able to sort of get my take on things. And uh,
1: Thank you for that. It's It's, it's nice to hear.